Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we get started, want to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. Remember, the more followers we get, the more we can give back to the goalkeeping community. Let's all keep paying that knowledge forward and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me, you know him, once again returning to his title of czar of the virtual background, the one and only Omar Zini Pro GK Academy. Uh, you did it this time, dude. You found the right club. Congratulations. Dude, we did. We did, man. We did. The last time, again, I was, I was using Wikipedia, and unfortunately, they did not update her account. So it showed a specific team and it was the wrong team. So to my defense, Mike, I should have read your notes prior and I probably would have had the right team. But hey, I recovered quickly. I got a North Carolina one and then her current team. So, hey, <laughs> you made you made you made it happen, guys. And yeah. speaking speaking of uh, speaking of women, shout out to International Women's Day. Shout out to all the, you know, the females out there who are, who are doing great things in the game. Um, obviously, you know, we're huge fans of, of the one and only Suskia Weber, 99 World Cup winner, who unfortunately is not with us right now. I think she's uh, involved in some uh, Angel City FC stuff. Uh, you know, she's big time. She's a co-owner in NWSL franchise. You know, who's got time to do a podcast when you got that going on? But uh, instead, uh, we were just like, hey, you know what? Uh, who, who can fill that swagger? Uh, and we're like, I don't know. What about like a former Maryland Terrapin legend? Uh, so we got Minnesota United goalkeeper and hopefully very soon Canadian international Dane St. Clair. Dane, what's up, man? Well, no, I think legend might be a little bit too early to say, but uh, hopefully one, hopefully one day. Dude, it's crazy, dude. Cause like, I just think about it, man. It's like, uh, I mean, talk about like just the amount of like goalkeepers that have kind of come through Maryland and stuff like that, dude. Just like, is that kind of, was that kind of like stressful? Like coming into Maryland being like, dude, man, like Zach Steffen just came. Like, what, what do I do now? You know? Yeah, I mean, luckily for me, Zach actually left early because I started to get re getting recruited by Maryland after he left because um, just based on like us being there, we wouldn't have been there. This, like, I wouldn't have gone to Maryland if he didn't decide to go pro. So I'm very grateful he made that decision. <laughs> but obviously, uh, it was tough shoes to fill for sure. And it, it took me a little while to get acclimatized. I um, kind of struggled a little bit my first two years. Didn't play as much as I probably would have hoped for going into it. But um grateful over in the end because I think it was definitely a learning experience and made me develop in other ways of, of my game that I probably wouldn't have if I went straight into playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, you could have just, just done what Omar did and go to like UC Davis. I think you start right away when you go to a, a big West school. Isn't that the way it works? <laughs> no, that's not how it works. All right. Come on. Let me, let me defend, let me defend the big West. We had Santa Barbara previous national championship. Uh, but no, Dane, for you, man, we, Mike and I have definitely been on you for a while. We, we've, you know, remembered you from uh, Maryland winning a national title. And then obviously we met you at the draft. Um, but question from, for me, at least, I just wanted to know, like, obviously playing in your first uh, Minnesota United game, and then you have the national championship with Maryland, a whole national championship run. And then, I mean, you guys have crazy, crazy fans behind your goal. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know, does, does anything from the national championship run up and those, you know, crazy uh, high pressure games where like sudden death and overtime, does that equate to anything you felt in that first game in, uh, with Minnesota? Um, I think all those things prepared me for that first game and a lot of, a lot of what went in. Unfortunately, my first game wasn't in front of fans because of oh, yeah. COVID. So there was, so there was no fans. I mean, I, 
I wish, well, I should say my first MLS game was with no fans. My first game for Minnesota was um, against Hertha Berlin, actually. And that was definitely an experience. I mean, 20,000 people there sold out. So um, that was a, that was an interesting game for me and helped, helped me develop for sure. But I think my first MLS game was a little bit weird because there, there wasn't that fan. So it was kind of only a pressure that I put on myself for, and just not wanting to let the team down. And of course, um, I wanted to keep my spot as well. You know what I mean? Dude, without the fans, I could have done that, man. Like I could, like my men's league, we play with no fans. We're good. I could do I actually that. Think it's, I actually think it's hard to play without the fans. Cause I mean, especially in Minnesota, we sell out every game, 20,000 people there, they're rocking, you know what I mean? Singing, chanting the whole game. So you kind of lose that atmosphere a little bit. I mean, they try to play the, the fake crowd noise, but nothing equates to seeing the whole thing uh, lit up for sure. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, you guys, you, your guys' fans are insane. I mean, like even like shout out to like your guys' supporters group. Like they were like reposting about this and I'm like, I, I, how, how do you guys find out about all this stuff? Dude, they're insane, dude. They love <laughs> yeah, you guys. They're, they're, they're very locked in. I mean, I think even our tradition of, of singing Wonderwall after wins, um, I think is one of the best traditions in the league. And it's crazy to see how it kind of came to them from like an NASL in the locker room with the coach to, to where it is now where you have the whole stadium singing in players and everything. Yeah. So let's, uh, let, let, let's, before we kind of go into this topic, like uh, I know there's like a lot of fans out there who might not kind of be kind of familiar with your journey and everything like that. And like, uh, you know, for some of those people out there who kind of, might not be familiar of kind of like basically what happened is like essentially you were loaned out in the USL. You were playing in the USL for a couple of years. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Tyler had, had, had a situation, um, you know, where, where he was injured and uh, you were able to grab an opportunity and, and you were able to come back to the first team. And uh, I mean, dude, you, you made a run in the playoffs, dude. I mean, I really honestly thought you guys were going to the cup. I really, really did. Yeah. I think we did too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my first year got drafted by Minnesota, of course, and we had a partnership with uh, Ford Madison, which is about a four hour drive from here. So kind of going back and forth my first year, um, we only had three goalies. One of them, had our, our backup goalie happened to get a little bit of an injury. So then I had to be back in Minnesota and was on the bench. Couldn't really go out and get games on loan, which is a little tough. Um, and then going into my second year, the plan was actually to be on loan for the entire year in San Antonio, a little bit higher division, the USL championship kind of get a full year of playing for me again and kind of show that what I could do and then go down there. Pandemic hits immediately. I don't even get to play a game. I'm in there locked down the whole time. Unsure if I'm going to go to Orlando in the bubble with, with, with Minnesota, if USL is even going to have a season, if MLS is going to have a season, to be honest, like there was a lot of uncertainty during, during that period. Um, then MLS announced that they were going to play. And then, so the plan was for me to go, I was going to go to the bubble and then kind of when it got closer to me about to leave, USL announced that they're going to play. So they're like, you're going to stay here games. The original plan is kind of still intact. Um, was able to play five games there before I got called back, which I'm definitely very grateful for because I think that was able to get me back in my mood. I think the hardest thing as a goal, you can train every single day, but if you don't see those game, those game scenarios and where you are in the box and those little, slight adjustments that you can only really make in games. I think I was able to work through some, through some of those things when I was in San Antonio. So when I came back to Minnesota, I felt like I was in close to mid-season form almost already, even though I hadn't played a single MS game yet. 
Dude, I, I love what you just said right there. Cause like Omar, and by the way, you know, you know, you're big time when Omar posts you on the pro GK Academy channel. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, that's when, that, that's when you made it when, uh, when, uh, when Omar's been scouring the internet for your clips, but, uh, Omar, you've talked about this, you know, how many guys, you know, freak out when they either go on loan to USL championship or they think, oh, you know, you know, what, how am I ever going to make it in MLS if I'm playing in the lower divisions and stuff like that. And, but just how many guys have just by getting their chops in the USL, once they got to MLS, as John Bushy always said, you know, it's not about how fast you get here. It's how long you stay once you get here, you know? Yeah. I mean, getting those game refs, getting those game minutes and, you know, I, I always tell people like, as long as you understand, you're aware of the little uh, percentage, you know, you're making every single game or every single moment uh, in a game where you can, you know, mature as a player, that experience will pay off. Just need to, you know, obviously change to more fans, maybe and certain, certain MLS teams may be a little bit less inferior to like a St. Louis or teams that have, you know, crazy fan bases. But then as you get to, you know, faster speeds and you get players who are a little more technical, um, then you have to obviously adjust to that. But I think, you know, as, as Dane said, you kind of have to get your feet wet a little bit. And then as long as you're aware of the things you need to correct and you need to uh, adjust in your game, you're going to be able to apply in those moments and in those matches. And then once you transition to the next level, then a lot of that stuff is already, the fundamentals have already been uh, laid to foundation. And then after that, you just step up and you adjust to the speed. So I think, uh, Dane, you're a perfect example of that. And then, like you said, Mike, I definitely posted one of Dane. Uh, probably, uh, Dan, I don't know, you know what? Actually, I found it on my Instagram. Let me pull it up real quick. What the date was. The, uh, the 14th of September, there was a clip that, uh, that I posted. Oh, do you have that saved, Mike? No, I don't have it. I, I, well, actually, which one? Which one is it? Depends. It might be. No, in the, it, wasn't it, might be it might be in the notes. So. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't a save, and and it probably will lead okay. us into the transition of to uh, the episode okay. here. But okay. essentially, the play, the situation happened where they were driving down the uh, Dane's right side, but the uh, attacker's left side. Uh, Dane goes to the near post. They swing it all the way to the far post. And I essentially, for like a seven or eight second segment, I just showed the sequence of Dane shifting from po uh, one post to the other fast approach, slow arrival, fully under control. And then from there, shifting to the middle. And even though the, the final shot never actually hit the frame, I just love the fact that you were so balanced and so intentional of your movement from like from one side of the goal to the next, to the middle of the goal, to stepping forward, then creating depth. There was just so much going on. But I, I like I tell the kids that I train, it's that controlled chaos. And mm -hmm. that controlled chaos is developed in the games as well. Because you can do it in training. But then at the end of the day, you know, when we're in our goalkeeping groups, it's very difficult to have someone who's, you know, that, that lethal striker that you're playing against over the weekend, finish them. You know, sometimes they may take two, three, four touches and you're kind of like the, the, the situation in session's kind of dead. But in these games, it's just like three, four, five seconds, they lay it off and that person lays it off and that person can hit it first time, take a touch, do a move. So all those little things. But eventually, Mike, I'll, I'll bring that play up. But again, that showed me a level to your game, Dan, that I felt like, okay, this guy's going to make the transition very easily because you have the little things right. And those little things put you in the opportunity to make those big time saves. Yeah, I think that game was against SKC, and like in the moment, I didn't really realize. But then, even when like when I saw the clip that you posted, I was like, "Wow, I did get to there, do that good, got to the next spot, like was set." And like I think sometimes your mind in the game will just naturally do it if you if it's something you work on. But then when you're able to look back and you're, you're able to see when the adrenaline's going and all that, you'll probably end up going even faster than you think that you could have gone. You know what I mean? We talked about in training a lot in Minnesota, we talk about that adrenaline and that extra like 10% of a game because realistically like the mind of any person in a game, they're going to be able to do a little bit more. So we talk about maybe you don't make that save in training, but when you have that extra 10% in the game, you'll make that save. So the fact that you're getting to the spot or 
or things like that. It, it, we focus on the movement a lot rather than the actual save. Dude, I absolutely love what you just said right there because I mean I think that's honestly and, and Omar, I'm, I'm glad that you you know you posted that clip you know a few months back and everything like that because. I think, Dane, I think one of the biggest issues, especially with youth goalkeepers, is like they watch somebody like yourself and they're watching that final action. And when Omar does something like breaks down your movement right there, they start recognizing that if you want to be a pro, if you want to play at that level, it's really about the movement, you know, off the ball. That's really where the bread and butter pro goalkeepers come from is that movement off the ball. Yeah. And Mike, I just want to bring that up too. I think uh, Jeff Tackett is, you know, one of our friends here in, in California, goalkeeper trainer. And he mentioned, I think on a Facebook post, he's like, you know, very, very often do us as coaches, we tell our goalkeepers to watch film, but very rarely do we show them how. And I think, you know, as, as a coach myself earlier on, when I used to draw by drills or when I used to post stuff on Instagram and, and, you, and YouTube and all that, it would just be that final action because, you know, the algorithm, that's what gets the views. And then that was kind of like my mm-hmm. short-sightedness as a coach is that the final action, that's, that's what we need to train. And then mm-hmm. as I started slowly kind of zooming out a little bit, and then especially with the, you know, the Dane clip, which I have here. So, we'll, you know, Mike, when we get into the top, do you want to you you, share right I think okay. we'll start with the, we'll start, you know, breaking down the segment and then we'll go from there. Okay. But okay. Um, okay. yeah. And then I think again, that illustrated when I watched Dane's clip, I watched it and I started thinking, man, like if I just only highlight for, for people, um, the final action, that is just, you know, anybody can, can detail that anybody can Mm -hmm. see that but as coaches and as goalkeepers who are very mindful about uh, our positioning and as Dane said I didn't even think I was moving that fast or that sharp and then I rewatched it and I'm realizing damn okay my natural instinct is Mm -hmm. very very uh, precise so I need to make sure that I continue to train that and stay sharp with that but then if you don't watch that you're kind of just like you know you're not aware of your movements so then Mm -hmm. I think again that's what I think you know uh, uh, Dane I'll, I'll ask you this question for you know, your transition from college to pros, did you feel like you started watching film a little bit differently? Um, I think I've some been been someone that's always kind of analyzed film personally and been able to watch a game and, and identify things. But I kind of did find, let's say I watched in Premier League on the weekend, like instead of me watching what that striker is doing, or I shouldn't say striker because I do try to watch their movements just to see what runs or things like that they're making to see what starting position I might need, but I, that's the things I was kind of looking at more so less of the ball and more so, okay, the ball's wide. Where's, where's the goalie starting position for this cross? It was, it was like, like you said, kind of less, less so about that one save, but like he's able to catch that cross because his starting position was two, three yards higher than maybe I would have been. And so that cross looks like an easy pickup or the cross comes five yards deeper and he doesn't have to come for it. But, because he's kind of engaging in it, um, it forces him to play it play a little bit higher. Like I was watching uh, Mendy a couple weeks ago, and there was a wide free kick, and he was standing on a six yard box. I mean, there's something somewhere obviously he feels comfortable with, but it kind of forces the the free kick taker to bring the ball out a little bit further instead of that guy getting the header on the penalty spot. Maybe he's close to the 18 now. Um, so just little things like that, I kind of saw myself identifying more with like you said, zooming out a little bit than just the final actions. 
Dude, I, I absolutely love what you're, you were just saying right there. And, you know, I think one of the things that you were just bringing up right there, I think really kind of leads into this topic today, which is, I think, you know, discovering your stance and everything like that. And you were just talking about Mendy, you know, where he feels comfortable, you know, standing on that six and everything like that. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the topic, is that as a young coach was trying to force goalkeepers to stand a certain way or, or move in a certain way or whatever. Um, so, Dane, kind of maybe for like maybe some parents out there who don't know what we're talking about, what do we mean by kind of of like discovering like your stance quote unquote so i think kind of just the way you get said i mean i think it could relate to the depth as well i don't know um how the way i view it i think kind of the depth as well in the stance that you take based on relation to the ball i would say because for me personally i take a little bit of a d- different stance if guys are coming in on a breakaway versus if the ball's wide and i'm gotta move my feet for a cross kind of thing so i mean just like we talk about getting set a lot as, as goalies because you always want to be able to, to move in any direction. So when I think of dance, I think of like my set or like my starting position. No, I, I, th- I think that's, I think that's a real, that's a really good point in regards to the starting position too. Cause like, I, I think one of the things too, that you just brought up right, right there, that was really good was that, you know, obviously the different scenarios too, and we'll, we'll watch some in, in, in a second or whatever, but Omar, I know that this is something that you've been trying to really, I don't, I don't want to say like, harp on with 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 youth players or whatever because a lot of them think like my coach has told me to stand this way my coach Mm -hmm. told me to stand here or whatever and they're so literal that they're not actually looking at the fluidity of the game itself Mm -hmm. for instance dane you have a a very wide stance at certain points based on the depth of the shot if a shot is deep your stance Mm -hmm. is pretty darn wide you know and that that works for you yeah i think um with my height it was something and it it is something i'm trying to work on to to narrow bit just to be able to move a little bit quicker but i think with me being so tall, um, I need a little bit of a wider stance so I can get to that ball, low ball a little bit quicker versus some small guys where they can be really narrow. So I think some sometimes it does matter to height, but it's also whatever you feel comfortable with because as long as you can keep the ball at the back of the net, no one's going to say anything, oh, you should have done this, I think. So it's just whatever you feel more comfortable with. And I think training is a good time. I mean, sometimes in training I know, okay, today I'm going to try to be – very narrow just to see how it feels because that's how you kind of are able to make those adjustments in the game and do them naturally it's like today i'm gonna try narrow on breakaways or 1v1s and see how i feel in that and then if i like it perfect i can use it but if not okay that's not something that works for me maybe i can try something else the next day i think as goalies like we get into this rhythm of obviously you're not doing that the day before a game or anything like that but when you're further out from from games it's our, it's our chance to try things as well. And I think um, at Minnesota, I have a really good goalie coach in, in Stu Kerr, and he allows us to, to do those things. He says, I don't ca- like use this time to, to try these things because if you keep a clean sheet on the weekend, everyone's happy. No one's going to remember what happened in training or anything like that. So use this time to allow yourself to, to branch out and, and try these things to better yourself as a goalie as well. Dude, I love that you just said that because like, you're like, we just had Matt Turner on a couple weeks ago and, you know, he was talking about like intent versus execution, right? You know, and, and Omar, this is something that I know, you know, you've been talking to young goalkeepers about who are afraid to experiment. They're afraid to try new things because they're worried about failure. But again, like, you know, you've, you've always been saying, Omar, is like, you'd rather see them try, fail because the intent was there and then we'll work on the execution, right, Omar? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the intent is 
to obviously keep the ball out of the net. And I think, you know, myself included, which is why I have a lot of empathy for the, you know, this generation of goalkeepers is that growing up, I would watch, um, you know, obviously I, I say it all the time, like, you know, Peter Schmeichel videos or, you know, 2002 World Cup. I watched everything Oliver Kahn ever did against everybody. And I would watch them. I would take something from them and then I would do it in a game or in training and it would work. And then I would always tell myself, okay, now because it worked, I have to do that every single time. And, you know, as Dane just said, it's kind of, you know, in relation to the ball. And like you said, Mike, the fluidity of the stance needs to change based on what the game, you know, gives you. So I have some empathy because I was very literal when I was younger. I would take that idea and I would let it run. And if it didn't work, like, you know, I say sometimes on like a test, sometimes you have one equation, you study for that equation, and then that equation is not on the test. And now you don't even know how to apply anything else because you're like, damn, I put everything into that one thing. So I have, again, empathy for those kids. But now when you listen to Dane speak and you listen to Matt Turner, anybody really who's at that next level, it's that curiosity that allowed them to try new things. And as us as coaches is to let that curiosity flourish and let it have a mind of its own. And then we step in when we need to step in. But at the end of the day, it's just letting them figure it out for themselves. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes. All the parents out there, young goalkeepers out there, you're going to make so many mistakes. Just let it happen. Let it come through you. But watch the film, film your, your sessions, go buy a GoPro for like $200, put it behind your goal. And I promise you, like Dane said earlier about watching himself uh, back again, you're going to notice like, oh, wow, I actually did move a lot faster than I did. Oh, you know what? I actually, you know, when that shot did come, I rose my hips up a little bit too soon, which made it impossible for me to get low. It's all those little minor details. It's like, Mike, you just said again, that curiosity and that it actually intent eventually comes back around when you start sharpening the idea. But you got to build that foundation first. Yeah, I think what you said there is perfect. Just like looking at other guys and trying it. Because my first year, I had two veteran goalies in Bobby Shuttleworth and Vito Minone. And they're very, they're very different goalies. So there are some things that Bobby did that I've never seen goalies do. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, let me try it. See if it works for me. Some stuff worked for me. Some stuff didn't. But until you are able to try it and there's no one simple template. Oh, De Gea is in the Premier League and this is what he does. So I have to do this to make it to the Premier League. Because if you, you could go through all the goalies and they're all going to have different styles and things like that. So I think just because something works for someone doesn't mean it's right for you as well, which I think was something I was able to learn a lot, especially when I came here. Like, and even when I was younger, my, my coaches growing up were saying, be yourself. You know what I mean? You're, there, there's going to be certain aspects of your game that some people are going to call unorthodox. Like for me, sometimes I have uh, problems switching over my hands. So I'll go really low and catch the ball low and kind of in that crouch position. But it's something I feel safe with, the ball secured, um, so like it's something my goalie coach here, like, yes, maybe people would say it's wrong, but it's something that works for me and it's something I feel comfortable with. So he's not going to try to take it up my game. Yeah. That comfortability is, is so important, you know, I mean, and like, I think Dane, I think, you know, honestly, like, you know, I think one of the things that I think is, is really an issue. And I thank you for bringing that up by the way, in regards to like, because there's a lot of youth keepers out there who think if they want to play in the Prem, they have to play like De Gea. They have to move like De Gea. They want, they try to beat, dude, and I see it. I see five, eight goalkeepers of 150 pounds who are built like, you know, Nick Ramondo, who are trying to play like De Gea because they think that's that's how you play goalkeeping. You know, they have mm-hmm. this idea in, in their head. Um, Omar, yeah. a quick question for you is that, is there is there a certain template though that at least at, at the youth level we should at least give some sort of a template of what type of a stance we're looking for and then let them explore from there? Yeah, I mean I think you know the normal thing that I always tell people is you know start uh, shoulder width apart. 
And I think, you know, with, with the balls nowadays traveling a lot faster, I try to show kids all the time, like from a close range, if you're not shoulder width apart, you're not going to have that pocket to get your hands down. And I think because you're not, you don't have that pocket, you're going to leave, you know, jump into a foot save. And I used to do that as well, sweep my feet to get my hands down or try to get to a foot save. And I didn't really have much power because I was so narrow. But then as I started getting a little bit more, uh, I guess, understanding of the position, I started, you know, staying in that shoulder width uh, position. And then now whenever that shot came down the middle, I felt more comfortable being in, a, in an athletic wide position because now I said, okay, if that ball goes down the middle, I can squeeze my hands down because there's already a pocket. I don't have to create a pocket. So I think for me, it's just shoulder width apart, Mike. And I think from there you can start, you know, as the ball comes a little bit closer, maybe you start a little bit wider because you got to get, you know, lower to the ground. Or if you're getting better with foot saves, like we see with De Gea, he stands a little bit more narrow at the post because then he's able to actually kick his feet out because now he has space to kick out versus being in that wider stance. So again, you watch those goalkeepers, but you have to ask yourself, why is De Gea successful and why is he doing this? And I think when you're able to ask yourself that and you can actually draw the conclusion on your own, you start realizing, oh, damn, okay, well, if I'm doing this, this is why I'm going to do it versus just, I'm going to do this just to try it. So I think that's the evolution of a goalkeeper is understanding why you're trying something and what the goal you want out of it versus just trying it just because you saw it. I think to add on that, I think when I've seen a lot of youth goalies, they've kind of been on their heels or too much on their toes. So I think kind of getting that right bit of kind of on the balls of your feet, I think a good template of that is trying to keep your shoulders, like you said, not only your, your feet narrow like that, but your shoulders over and your, or your head over the ball. So that way it kind of keeps you and drives you forward as well. So that way it kind of helps you from not diving backwards and things like that. So I think kind of just trying to attach your head to the ball. Sometimes like we say, make a save, like, get your head forward and your, the rest of your body will go. Your head's so heavy, like yeah, it'll bring that everywhere as well. So I think that can help goalies as well so that they're not on their heels and they're kind of on that front foot if they need to make a save or a ball goes through the back line, they need to run out and get the ball or things like that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, th I think, I think, th that's I think this go ahead, Omar. No, I think exactly what Dane just said. I know I wish, you know, if we were all sitting in the same room and we have uh, somebody to be like, yo, get that, get that clip up for us. One day, one, one day, once, once for all, I got my first shot, dude. I'm, I'm halfway there. So I'm halfway there. <laughs> well, no, but, but again, if we can, if you guys listen to what Dane just said, that is another layer of goalkeeping is that there are times where the ball is being circulated around the 18 or, you know, maybe like 25 yards out and you're, set stance is almost like you're in a staggered stance like one foot is ready to drive through just in case that ball gets played through and then as the shot is being struck i've i have found myself where i'm like kind of like my foot is just slightly off say my right foot's just slightly in front of my left one just because i feel like more comfortable sprinting off my line to uh either you know get, uh, get the ball before the uh, striker does or i come out to close down the angle if that ball is slipped in but then when that shot is struck i quickly shift my feet either i bring my left foot back to even with my right or i bring my right foot back to even with my left and again that's another evolution of goalkeeping that if you had the film you could see that but that as well is one of those things as a coach when i watch it i go damn you know he doesn't look right here and then i go oh you know what his iq is being shown here now we just got to sharpen the iq because he's trying to read that situation it didn't happen he paid for it but next time he can read that same thing but be in a better stance more optimal stance and i think again that is the evolution of the the watching film part dude dude i, I just love what you just said there because like dane honestly i'm just like thinking about this like when watching like youth goalkeepers like how many of them are just like in the same stance moving mm -hmm. around like the grid basically in the same stance. Cause like, they're like, this is my set stance. This is the way I move yeah. as opposed to like thinking like Suskie always brings up like move like an athlete, like mm -hmm. athletes move like fluidly. Like you don't move like stiff. 
stiff like yeah, that, you yeah. know? So like, it's like one thing I've noticed, like with you, for instance, is like, and, and maybe we'll, we'll start getting into some of these clips or whatever, but like, we'll see it. You have a tendency, for instance, in a shot situation in the final action, you'll go from a very wide stance to you'll all of a sudden narrow it out in mm -hmm. order to get that, in order to kind of get that drop and then be able to get that push off. You know, do you, are like, you even aware you're doing that? Or is that just like subconscious? Yeah, I think kind of like I said earlier, like I kind of noticed, like I do have a wide stance at times and it's something that I've try, trying to narrow a little bit. So I think sometimes I'm able to do it on the shots and be able to generate that power. But I think for me, I'd hope to be at a little bit closer to that and more natural position than having to do that last minute adjustment. But also it's something for me, it's like, I know some goalies like to step into their shots or things like that. So that's kind of like my pre pre-shot thing where it's like, okay, I got to narrow in to get, to generate that power. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's, let's do this actually. Let's, uh, let's actually bring up some of these, uh, some of these clips right here. Hold on one second. Let me, uh, right here. Can everybody see that right there? Um, yes. all right. So this is in the 86 minute. Uh, this is against, uh, obviously against Colorado. Good result for you guys for sure. Um, basically if you guys watch right here, watch, watch, watch what Dana was talking about in regards to very, very wide stance as that ball is served. It's a dangerous ball that comes inside. Who's that? Who, who gets on that ball right there? Uh, Dane. So, is that um, I think this is Galvan. Or... Yes. That, yeah. No, this is Galvan. This is Galvan. Yeah. Cause the service is coming out from out here. It comes into Galvan as that ball is hit. So you're in that wide stance, but the second that you see that that ball is kind of dropping, that's when you narrow your stance. You kind of collapse into it, drop that shoulder, and make a great save to the, the near post right there. We'll, we'll play it in, in real time so everybody can kind of see it. How would I do in the description there, Omar? <laughs> Wasn't too bad. You always got to start okay. with where the ball's coming from, who's like, you know, what's the, what the service looks like. So ball's on the right side, Dane's left side. Guy cuts back to his left foot on top of the 18, whips it in. And then, yeah, Dane, you, like we talked about before, that right leg sometimes in that staggered stance because if, if that ball does come at a little higher of an approach, you're ready to pounce on it and step forward. But also, too, if it, it you know comes in like this, a little bit more head height and driven, you can also bring that leg back and now you're square. Yeah, I think um, especially towards the end of the season, especially going to this season, it's something that I'm trying to work on a lot is being a little bit more aggressive on crosses. So just my, like I said, I think, the big thing with me is going to start with my starting position because I think I have the footwork and the height to get there. So kind of, if you, I feel like if I'm in, in, in that in-between phase and my starting position's in a good spot, it's going to allow me to get there and not have to like have that second guess. Am I going to get to that ball or am I not going to? I love right here just the the, the, the comfortability to d drop for the depth to allow yourself the time to react to that shot. You know, a lot of goalkeepers, especially a lot of youth goalkeepers in this dangerous ball situation, they would try to bite at that ball. And you're like, you know what? I'm better off holding here because I have the angle and then just make the reaction safe. Yeah, I think um, the height of the ball, I think, is also, also important. Sometimes people say, that, oh, the ball is on the six-yard box. Like, you should have got there, but... Sometimes with the way these guys are hitting the ball now with the the pace and and the bit ability of runners coming across, like sometimes it is better off to hold and kind of we what we work on a lot in Minnesota is if you're if you're not gonna go out to get the ball, you gotta drop in and make sure that you're ready to make that save. Because the last thing you wanna do is be in that kind of no man's land or you get beat by the ball pace of it because you're too close to the ball. Go ahead, Omar. No no, I think um to kind of like go back to the the wide stance in uh, in this kind of final action, this play. 
I think, you know, I did a breakdown recently of De Gea and uh, wanted to kind of just see, you know, how athletic is he in that wide stance and when he does it. And one of the things that I noticed and something that I've, again, uh, discussed in the past is there are times where there's going to be those shots down the middle from the angle or down the center, and you don't have time to get down and the shots coming from, let's say, you know, 10 to 12 yards away, you can quickly get those hands down because you already have a pocket because that wider stance or that shoulder width mm-hmm. stance, you don't have to, you know, step with your left foot or right foot to create that space. It's already there. And again, as fast as the balls are coming these days, that's very, very vital and very important. I've seen, uh, like Dane said earlier, a lot of goalkeepers will, you know, be on their heels and because they don't have their weight forward, they can't get those hands down. So what ends up happening is they lean back and now you've had way less surface area because you're trying to, you know, kick the ball and you have to get it precisely. You have to get it full contact to get a good, uh, you know, distance on it versus getting those hands down now your whole body supporting. And another thing what I noticed too, and I think on this save is instead of getting those hands down, what ends up happening with that wider stance is now you have the opportunity. Let's say, you know, you dive into your left, that left foot has space to step inward and then outward, if that makes sense. So now you have the opportunity to step in with your left foot without taking the space to your left side. And now you can actually press in and then power out. And I think that also is one of those things that I see on this save. But one of the very, in my opinion, one of the very, very most like vital things about having a little bit of a wider stance is for that that right leg or whatever plant leg you're going towards is to have that leg step in and then step out to create that space and actually have uh, intentional push. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a little bit of a counter movement. Exactly. Dude, yeah, and then you know, but you know, one of the things that that happens right there because I is that Dane, is that tough? Do you think to teach at the, you know to to younger goalkeepers? Because I think what happens when I've tried to teach that type of like you know kind of like counter movement, they just buckle, they just buckle and they, they lose their balance and they end, they end up falling or, or or whatever. So like, you know, like how how intentional is that, or is that just the shift of the body reacting to compensate? I think it's a little bit of the shift. I think if you kind of focus on more so getting a push on every save. I think that's the, the more so things because then naturally your foot will, you think, oh, I got to get a push here. I need to come inside a little bit more. So I think working on that counter movement, like that's not something that, that I've worked on, um, but just trying to, the, the mindset of trying to get a push in, in every save. And we talk about rebound control a lot in, um, in Minnesota and trying to, generate enough power especially on headers and things like that that aren't coming in real hard is if we if we can generate that power to manipulate the ball as far out as we can then that's what we need to do instead of the last thing you want is a rebound dropping inside your six yard box oh yeah dude those are like man i mean i I was the king of those i was the king of like coming out for that ball and then like i like give give it a give it a slap and then it's down there and then it's at like a frantic thing on either i make a brilliant you know world class sa- you know game saving mm-hmm. save right there or i just like never play again cuz they're just like that guy clearly he's yeah doesn't know what he's doing right omar <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think i think um you know i i've tried to not a universal word but i've been i've been trying to explain it to the kids that i train and i say try to be in uh, an athletic wide position and the athletic wire that we talk about with Sask is just, you know, being in an, in an athletic position. So even when you see, you know, cornerbacks, for example, which just like goalkeeping, we have to keep ourselves, you know, kind of opened up a little bit just in case that wide receiver runs a certain route. You want to be able to, you know, shift your body. You don't want to be stuck flat and being square. So I think when you watch those guys, they kind of stay a little bit of a wider stance as well, just so that they can either cross step or shift their feet back. So I would say if anybody watches other sports, go watch that. 
and and even basketball defenders as well they leave themselves just slightly open and pivoted just so they can react to other you know different uh, uh movements and very variability of those movements as well and i got a question for you because like you know as, as obviously as a, as a taller goalkeeper um you know when you're kind of going through that whole that, that growth spurt and everything like that did you experiment with a bunch of different stances and did you did you try a bunch of different things and, and a lot of things were failing just and, and you got started getting frustrated because your body was kind of growing into itself or whatever. Cause you're what, like not what now, like six, nine or whatever you are right now. You're like, you're very tall. You're, you're a lot taller than me. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I kind of hit a growth spurt kind of around the time I was 15, 16, I would say. And that was kind of a tough, tough period of time because it was like, I was considered not, no, I wasn't, small but I was smaller than than most goalies at the time and everyone so it was like kind of my movements and stuff had to I had to adapt and change them and it was it was definitely a little bit tough because it was like there were certain things I could do and movements I could do when I was smaller that I wasn't able to do as fast in in relation to the time of the game when I was bigger so that's when I kind of had to start making those adjustments and I found myself making naturally I guess a little bit of a wider stance just being taller. And it was something like, I kind of did get frustrated about because I was very narrow before because of, because of my size. But I think as I was able to, um, as I grew, kind of went into that wider stance a little bit. So, but it, like you said, it's about playing with the, with the different stances and seeing what works for you because just because a guy is 6'4 or 6'5 or 6'6, like doesn't mean he has to have a wider stance. I think at the end of the day, goalkeeping is, whatever works for you kind of thing, because what works for me might not work for other guys and vice versa. Of course, you can look at what these other players are doing and, and trying them out, but you have to be willing with the mindset. You can't be dead stuck, dead stuck on this guy's my size. He has to do what I want to. I mean, growing up, I loved watching Casillas and Casillas is only six two, So some of the movements that he would do didn't apply to, what I, what I was able to do in my game as well. By the way, you know how depressing it was for me? Like I was five, nine and I thought Casillas was like closer to my height. And I'm like, Oh, he's like a shorter goalkeeper. I was like, he's like this, he's a brilliant guy. See, you can do it when you're like, and when I find out he's like six, one, six, two, I was like, Oh man, I thought I had one guy. I thought I had a guy. Uh, uh, Omar, what, Mike, what do we have just, here? I, just again, this is, I mean, I did a full breakdown. Then I can send this to you, but I did what the head does in that wide stance. Sometimes he, in this situation, he'll start wide. And then because that pocket's already open on higher shots, he's able to step in with his right foot. So watch, you'll see here. He'll step into that space. So then now he can push out. But I think that for me, when you see that kind of thing is like, that is, is why I value, in my opinion, why I value that wide stance. So he gets his feet set as the shot comes. And then he steps in because that space is created. And then he pushes out. And I would show other clips because I don't want this, I don't want this uh, the stream to get taken down on Facebook, Mike. But there are there are opportunities where that ball does come across. Hold on, let me see if I can pull it up real fast here. Okay, so look, as the shot is coming, he because he's a little bit wider now, he gets that left foot down, and then he'll sweep it because it's a closer shot, and the ball mm -hmm. he needs to create space, and he gets that hand down. So there's different. That's there's that different counter. Variables. That's a counter movement you're talking. We're, we're, we've been talking about right, right there. Exactly. That sweep, that sweep right there. Hold on, this is this is one that I like. Is it one you like because Everton's up one nil or what? What? <laughs> no, just you can't mm -hmm. see it here. But again, that mm -hmm. low ball, 
He's in a wide stance, and to create that space, he jumps, and then he gets that left leg out of the way so he can get his arm down. So, again, it's it sometimes when you have more time, you can probably mm -hmm. step in and you can attack in the air. And there's other times where you jump wide, and as that shot comes, you have to sweep that left leg out of the way to get that arm down. So I think it, there's different ways to do it. And then I have another clip as well where he makes a foot save where – he jumps wide, and then from there, he's able to actually get his feet out from underneath him. But um, like Dane said, just because somebody does it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And just because it doesn't work for, for you doesn't mean it doesn't work for somebody else. So you have to be, like you said, Mike, earlier, more fluid in that stance and try different things. And the more you try them, the more opportunity you have to try as coaches to let them do that. Then you start figuring out, okay, in this situation, I can do this, this situation, I can do that. And without thinking about it, it just happens automatically. Yeah, I think one thing, if kids are trying that little kick out, they got to be be careful with it because if you look at that clip closely he's actually still generating power off his right leg yes. so it's not like you're just falling on the ground i think that's what i've seen with some with some goalies they just kind of fall there but you're still you still want to generate that push he's just using the push from his right leg to to generate that power so i think that's something to to really tune in if you're going to attempt to try that one which i think is definitely a tricky one it is. Yeah, that sweep is definitely one of those uh, situations where you just kind of go, all right, you know what, I got to make sure I get my create my space, have my spatial awareness so I can drive that arm down. And that's a really good point, though, is that sometimes you need to drive and generate power from the opposite leg. And it doesn't mean that it's just it's not as strong. It's more so just now you're pushing while that left leg is coming. You're almost stabilizing yourself with that right leg to give your, uh, your, your hand power as you slide it back out. You know, but, but Omar and Danny, you know, before we kind of move on to this other thing, I kind of want to make sure there's a lot of young co coaches out there, you know, don't put the cart before the horse because I, I made the mistake of I tried to do a sweeping session like this uh, with some youth keepers, you know, not that long back. And I was like, oh, man, this they, they just don't have basic movement down first. And now I'm trying to incorporate this into it. Like all I'm doing is confusing how they should be moving that, that thing, you know, through and through. Wait, what do we got here? Is this a, is so this, this, a is, this was, this was the clip. Yeah. That I posted okay. a while back. And okay. again, when, when, um, and for me, at least the only way you're able to do a lot of what Dane is doing here is that I tell kids all the time, like you need to live in the position where your legs have adjusted to the muscle memory of going a hundred miles an hour for however long that play is. So you do wall sits or whatever it is, but your mentality should be from, let's say the first second to the 10th second, however long that play lasts, you are going as fast as you can. And in a short, in that short position, in a uh, little lower position, because again, you have to account for through balls. You have to account for a low ball. You have to account for a kick save or a high ball to the post, all that. So I think here, if you watch it, Mike, just adjusting quick, good, calm. Okay. Doesn't happen. Only 99,000 views, Omar. What happened there? <laughs> no, Dane, when Dane becomes like, you know, for fifth, sixth year, we get that mass appeal, you know, right now he's still, the Canadians don't know who he is just yet. No, so here, look, again, just watch him the entire time. It's just like, you know how sometimes you hear like the Beethoven music and like it's like the symphony going on in the back. For us goalkeepers, this is that kind of symphony when you're just watching, you just go like it's music. to Like it's just beautiful, just yeah. nice and calm and it's controlled chaos. And again, look at his legs. He's bouncing up and down, but it never in, in this entire play did I say, maybe that last part right here, but the guy shot it from like four yards out. Did I ever say he's out of control? What is he doing? It's more completely, he knows where to be. Okay, there might be a shot there. So he can't complete his movement all the way across. He realizes that. Boom. Yeah, I think what you said there was sometimes you realize you, it's more important to, to get set than to get to the spot. Because if you're not set, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be able to make the save. So at least if you're set, you might not be in the exact spot you want to be, but it gives yourself a better chance to make the save. 
Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, I absolutely and I love completely agree. Why for sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna you, say. You just see your face. You see your face, dude. You're just like, you're like, oh man, I did all that work. Thank God. Thank God that just went wide right there. <laughs> all that positioning for not. No, I mean, dude, Dane. Honestly, like, Omar. By the way, you could literally put a soundtrack over this. It'd be absolutely, absolutely brilliant. So next, next time you got to put. Are we going through the comments now? No, come on. We're not. Uh... <laughs> I just wanted to see what people said. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll keep that there. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I'll let it play one last um, time. We'll but see. yeah, kind of what I used to work on when I was younger, I'd like go always do these movements, but like I would go like run five yards, sprint five yards maybe, and try to get set on like a line and like make sure that I was set on the line. That's so why I was still balanced that I wouldn't take a step forward. I wouldn't like heel backwards or like you go through the cones and you get a ball. You, like that little four yard burst or three yard burst or whatever as big as it is. Can you make that movement as fast as you can and get set right in between those cones or right on that line or things like that? Or even with lateral movements, like something as simple to that, like I'm gonna go three yards and straddle the line and make sure I'm completely balanced in that line, but I'm gonna try to do it as fast as I can. And like, that's kind of like the movements that I would work on when I was younger a lot. Yes. and. What I will say as well, what, what Dane just said there is something that I've been trying to tell people all the, all the time. When you, I'd say you broke your wrist like I did and, and I needed to figure out ways to stay in shape. Yes, sometimes you can say, yeah, it's kind of hard to do goalkeeping stuff. But if you literally just go out there and put those cones and you tell yourself, I need to stop on a dime here. And then also too, to add on to what you just said, Dane, is the mentality of, okay, let's just say, for example, I went from where I was, I crossed up to the near post as fast as I could. And then when I got there, I needed to get set. And once I got set, that guy cut that ball, you know, across for a shot or excuse me for, mm -hmm. a, you know, a cutoff cross. Am I athletic enough after this movement to get myself down there? And I think when you do that in enough times, when you get to that post and you kind of go as fast as you can and get set, you realize even if you don't have a shot coming or you can even just watch yourself on film without anybody out there, just you by yourself, you say, am I athletics after this movement? Okay, let's say that ball doesn't get cut back and I don't have to cut it off. It gets actually served to the far post. Did I slow myself down enough so that I have enough momentum to go back the other way? You know what I mean? So there's so many scenarios and questions mm -hmm. that you can ask yourself if, you, if you're just by yourself, but you're also extremely aware of what you want to work on and intentional of what that final picture may look like so you know exactly if you can be athletic enough to get out of that set position into a save or into a cutback or into another movement yeah i think um this is probably a little bit more technical with guys that are able and fortunate enough to use mannequins or or guys but let's say a shot gets blocked or a ball hits a mannequin in training instead of just saying oh the shot's not on target are you able to slightly adjust and get set for that if there was someone there to hit that rebound or, or things like that, you know what I mean? So it's not like all mm -hmm. oh, the ball didn't, it was a bad service from the guy. Can I, can I slightly adjust and kind of play off that second ball? Like it would be in a game because realistically there, that, that ball might be bounced to a striker. Who's looking uh, to put in the back of the net. You know what I mean? So I yeah, think even I in training, if you have enough goalies to encourage that guy to shoot that ball instead to make sure guys are set or switched on, or is it, a ball and I need to come sprint out and, and get things like that too. I think Mike, just to add on to that, I think um, I've, I've, I'm sure anybody who's a goalkeeper and I'm sure people who are listening to this, I, I think we've all been in those situations. Hey, did where... you just ask if anybody's a goalkeeper who's listening <laughs> to this? No, I just wanted, I just wanted to get some sympathy or like at least, at least some, like some snaps on this because okay. there have been so many times where 
there has been like a play uh, that that goes into the wide service and then they cut it back and as they cut it back they the guy whips it into the far post and i've had it so many times where i'm like sprinting across my goal and luckily the striker in the big west you know not not the most technical guys we don't we're not not the the uh, you know the, the acc those kind of guys but this guy comes far post headers it out of bounds or kicks it wide and i'm telling myself I'm like exhaling going, oh my God, thank God he did not get that on frame because I was not set. There's no way I would have been able to actually get my feet into the ground. But then because of how many times, it didn't happen all the time, so don't get it twisted. It didn't happen all the time. It happened every once in a while. But I remember I would think of myself, like even though I didn't didn't get put on frame and it didn't you know, lead to a scoring opportunity, I at least understand now and I can learn from the fact that I was very much aware that I was not going to be able to make a save because my final set position was sprinting to get to a spot versus getting to a general area and then getting my feet set. So again, any young goalkeepers out there, there's going to be opportunities where they don't score on you, but you're going to realize, damn, I was not in a position to make a save here, or I was too wide, or as a shot came, I was jumping up in the air. So make sure whether it's in training, whether, you know, it's off a mannequin in, in, a, in, in a session, you to ask yourself, was I prepared just in case the actual worst case scenario had happened. If the answer is no, then hopefully next time around, you start actually taking the proper steps to make sure that's fixed. Dude, Omar, um, I, I love what you just said right there. Cause like Dane, like I, I was just like thinking a bit th about this right now, as Omar was saying that it's like, dude, how many kids it's like move. It's all about like, they're thinking of like getting to a spot is getting to a cone. So they're just like, they move like to us. They move such a specific area Mm -hmm. that they're not really thinking of the scenario. They're not really moving with the game. They're moving to a specific, they're moving to like a literally a specific spot. So a lot of times they're out of position because they're trying to get to that spot as opposed to trying to get into space and react to the shot. Yeah. I actually kind of have a clip from, from my college days. So. Oh dude. See. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. You got it. Let's, uh, let's, let's make it happen. Disabled, man. Disabled no, dude, I'm making, I'm making you a right. look at that, dude. You're big time now. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like kind of bounced around kind of got set there and then just having to come out all the way which maybe isn't the right thing but um just like in that scenario just in that scenario just getting set on kind of mm -hmm. each ball and the ball just following the ball in the natural trajectory for for me to get there you know Dude, by the but Omar, Omar, but you just missed it because while well, while you were gone right there, but uh, but Dane just uh just shared just a brilliant, absolutely brilliant save, uh yeah, from his from his college days. No, no worries. <laughs> not 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 this one, but dude, have you seen that jug of water that he's got? Look at that thing. <laughs> what are you a bodybuilder? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just unfortunate bounce from my defender, kind of gets set on that ball. Ball's bouncing out, and I just kind of decide to follow it all the way out. Which is which is important. It's just dude, just get body behind it. Just get body yeah. behind it, and then second ball chase, and just and just make sure that you keep it out of the net, dude. I think that's mm -hmm. just but, that's so important. Go that, ahead, Omar. That again, too. Again, guys, when it comes to the block save, I know we we haven't talked about it in a long time, Mike. But when you watch that play, there's a reason why the block save works. One, it's distance, and two, because you got as quickly as as far as you can get out, and then you realize from there, I just got to make myself as big as possible. Mm -hmm. So again, like when somebody. Like myself, when I was younger watching that, 
I would say, okay, anytime there's like a scuffle in the box, I'm just going to come out and do, you know, a spread save without understanding why. But now I realize that and I'm just like, okay, well, he had like probably like two seconds to get to his spot. He realized, okay, maybe get take one second instead of the full two to get to my spot, that one second. And then from there, I can make myself as big as possible. So it's just a small, small things to give yourself even like two, three percent chance to actually better chance to make the save, which I think you did a great job there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, dude, you just brought up a really good point right there. Like, I just, dude, I, I had a parent, and I don't want to call anybody out or whatever, but I had a parent who like called me up, and they're like, they're like, ah, uh, yeah, with my, uh, with my, with my elevens, like, I'd like to do a, a block, a block session with you, like, just. And first off, I'm trying to steer clear, Dane. I'm trying to steer clear of running sessions that are based on a action as the mm-hmm. topic of, of the session, as opposed to more scenarios. I'm really, really trying to do more scenario-based training sessions. I think that's mm-hmm. the direction that goalkeeper coaching is going. But I just thought about it as like the first off the mindset of the, the fact that their coach said to this kid and said, oh, I want you to work on, on blocking, but they didn't bring up the scenarios for yeah. the blocking. They said, I want you to work on the actual action. That's, mm-hmm. dude, that's the problem, I think, with the block, to be honest with you, Dane, is, is mm-hmm. kids are just defaulting, defaulting, defaulting. Yeah, I mean, I think people see a lot of guys like Neuer and, his stance and Ter Stegen are, I think the Germans are, are the best at that. But I think, like you said, it's the distance. I think even you see, you've seen some goals in the prem this year where guys are going for that block save or getting set real low and they're getting beat just because the, the distance isn't there. And I mean, I think it depends. Like for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit bigger guy. So that for me able to get down uh, for like one V ones is a little bit tougher. So I do rely on getting close and, and getting that block save. Whereas, some other guys that are maybe a little bit quicker than me are able to to dive at the feet of players, but it's also it's just about what what works for you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I, I want to bring up this clip right now here. Um, this is uh, this is Hollingshead uh, in the 87th minute. Um, it's a through ball situation right here. Essentially, what happens? Ball surged by Aquerta to Hollingshead. You're coming out. You hold and then you approach. And then you recognize that you're not going to get there in time. You can't gain any more ground. So you hold, you get big. And then as that ball's hit, you spread and you make a brilliant save right there. Uh, play my, it full in, speed. Yeah. I'll play it at full speed. Okay. Hold on. Here. I mean, I, and again, it's an emergency save. It's not, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a reaction to the scenario type of a thing, you know? Yeah. I think kind of like I was saying earlier with the hail, like, that little kick out works for him, but I, like someone for me, because of my stance already, I'm able to, and I feel comfortable with that kick, more comfortable with that kick saving. And grand, I have really long legs, so it works, <laughs> it works better for me, but like that's, that's a save I feel comfortable with, whereas other goalies might try to kick out there or something like that. But with my stance, I think the kick save is something that I may rely upon more than, more than some others. Dude, I, th- I think that's all watching all that NHL growing up in Canada, dude. I think that's uh surprising <laughs> you didn't watch that much. Maybe that's from <laughs> when I used to be when I used to be a center back and love slide tackling people. <laughs> Mike, I, um, I mean yeah. I dude, I want to show this clip of uh Casper okay. Schmeichel that I have saved, but do you think I you think I'll be okay with it? I think you know, does the Facebook feed need to be up all the time or can we take a chance? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how 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 recent is this? How recent is this clip, dude? Like like three days ago? No, December 13th. Just quick, exactly what Dane just did, but look at how yeah. patient... Maybe, maybe uh, just show a still, maybe not actually play the video or whatever, so since oh, it's actually just coming quick, from a quick, YouTube, quick, quick. YouTube feed. So, Hey, that's like Dane. Exactly. So what I'm trying to tell you people is like you as Dane... 
opportunities where based on the scenarios you've seen over and over and over, you say, okay, from this distance, I'm tall enough where my left leg and my right leg can cover both posts. So I'm be, I'm going to be ready to shoot these down knowing that I can, knowing full and well from that distance, it's going to be very difficult for me to get down with my hands. So I think Dane, as that, as I'm saying in live time, a lot of things will change. And if you could just almost imagine like there's a list of 10 things. And as the play develops, things slowly get knocked off that list. And mm -hmm. I think when this one here, like the last two things on that list are probably just like, okay, foot save and then, you know, spread save. And I think yeah. you said, hey, it's the last thing on the list as the play developed, you came and you were just like, well, I got this covered. I can't get down with my hands. So here we go. And then as that shot came, it wasn't a surprise. And I think that mm -hmm. if you're watching that, understand that when you watch these guys like Dana in that specific uh, scenario, it is deliberate. It is intentional. It's not a lucky save. You had both your legs ready to shoot out in those small two or three yard windows or two or three feet windows to your left and to your right. And I think right there, again, you were ready to pounce on that left leg and extend it out. So I think that's a great, brilliant save. But again, it's intentional. Watch it. Yeah. It's intentional. Was it? Or am, I, am I off? No, definitely intentional. Like I said, the kind of more of my style is, is kind of making those kick saves and those 1v1 scenarios. I think even we slowed the, slowed the video down, me just holding and weighing my that little second so I can kind of meet him there at a good spot and I'm kind of not in that no man's land to give myself the time to be able to get my foot out as well and like I said moving forward sometimes for me taking a little slight step forward allows me to keep my body weight going forward as well so just um it was something I was actually talking to, to Fred Emmings today about our 17 year old goalie here just sometimes even when guys people struggle with getting set too long and then they go into a wider stance maybe i'm gonna get there a, a split second later just so i don't i i eliminate the, myself the, the mindset of i need to, i'll leave my starting stance you know what i mean so just getting there a half second later and okay and now i'm in the perfect spot and i don't i'm not double thinking or taking a half step wider things like that exactly it's like what you're comfortable with you know mm -hmm. that's the yeah and dude, and Dave, you know, you know how I can tell that you weren't that was intentional, as opposed to a lot of kids out there. You know, and obviously you're not you're not a kid, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of young, lot of younger goalkeepers out there. You weren't moving. That was an intentional shift of the body because I saw you were all, you were in that you were in that set space. As that ball's hit, that's when you that's when you kicked out. I think a lot of young goalkeepers they see that, and they just run out at the ball and then throw their leg out, thinking that's the same mm -hmm. movement. You know, exactly. And I think with that movement too, it's very important to keep your body and your arms over the ball in case the ball does go high as well. Because the last thing you want is your shoulder drop back a little bit and the ball goes right over your shoulder. You, you got to make sure your kind of arms are kind of ahead of you as well to, to give yourself a chance if the ball goes higher as well. And that uh, honestly, guys, I think that all comes back to our, you know, our conversation earlier about just making sure you're, for me at least, it's just your head steady. If, mm -hmm. if your head is steady, and I say this all the time. I do this this uh, this thing with kids where I say, you know, put your arm out. I'm going to try and push you back, but keep your eyes facing forward. And they do that. And I can push their arm. And then I say, now actually, you know, keep your eyes and your head locked on your arm. You'll realize how much stronger every part of your body is when your head is, is supporting and your eyes are supporting. So mm -hmm. I think that is the biggest thing. And I think, again, here, like you said, Mike, it's that set position. And then complimenting what Dane said is keeping yourself uh, in a position where those hands, just in case they go up in this position, maybe not as uh, as likely a probability. But if it does, my head is in a position where I can support my hands. Omar, were you at Van Nuys Sherman Oaks Park last Friday when I was running the session with this 11-year-old? Because it sounds very similar to the coaching points that I was <laughs> Did you say that? You were just in the, thing in the back. You're like taking notes. You're like, oh, that's good. I think I'm going to say that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I did not say that.
<laughs> oh man. Um, a, a couple, couple things that I was actually just thinking about, Dane, and somebody just brought up in the in the comment section right here. They were asking, in regards to stances coming from the futsal environment. Did you play any futsal at all, by any chance? Um, not necessarily futsal, but definitely coming growing up in Toronto, we definitely had to play in indoor smaller spaces. But it was more so like seventy-seven turf fields, smaller nets. So not necessarily futsal but like you know those little five and five like around so i think maybe that a little bit but um yeah. not straight up futsal no. yeah because I, I think i think this person was just trying trying to say like you know i think that a lot of a lot of movements that in a short range situations that a lot of goalkeepers develop is because they do play a lot of small sided or indoor type scenarios and I, i've mm -hmm. recognized omar i don't know how you feel about this but a lot of uh goalkeepers that grew up in like um you know, in environments where they're able to play year-round outdoors, don't develop those close-range reflex skills as much as the ones that like grow up in like let's say Minnesota or Ontario or wherever, where you know you can't be out twenty-four-seven. You know, out on yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. I never really even thought about that, but yeah, I mean, kind of we're, we're forced to play <laughs> in those small sizes. You try to get any little turf space that you, or indoor space that you can get when it's negative degrees outside you know what i mean so that's never really something i thought about but uh yeah that's definitely i uh i want to bring up uh i want to bring up this this save right right here um i'm gonna go this is a 33rd minute um this is against houston uh i think it might have been back in, in september or whatever um i think it's minota's it's a right footed shot from outside the box into the top left corner so let me let me pull that that guy up for everyone to see um, oh, here we go. Okay, hold on a second here. Uh, nobody can see this because I haven't shared the screen. All right, there we go. Uh, but I did set it up, Omar, so everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, so we'll do it in real time. Here's the ball played. Boom! Great save right there, right off the uh, right off right off the post, right there. Um, I want everyone to see this as the shots hit right here. So you're a, a little bit out of position right there, but as the For ball sure, is yeah. hit, yeah. So you lose a little bit of sight of the ball, but as that ball's hit, I see that shift of your body recognizing, oh, I found the ball again. And mm -hmm. as that ball is hit, now here's that buckle that you were talking about with the knee in order to create push-off. You see the rise of the ball going to the top corner, and you get just enough of a piece on that ball to play it away like, play it away like that. Um, Professor Omar, any thoughts here? Um, again, if I was to break this down from a holistic approach now i'm thinking he's out of position because just in case dan has to react to that cutoff ball or that cutoff ball that ball that slipped into the uh the right midfielder right here that could potentially turn into a cutback situation in my opinion i think you overshifted thinking that if he does play that you're going to be able to get to that post uh a lot quicker and more efficiently so it's kind of like the got to play the percentages and i think again mm -hmm. you made up for it because you were able to get back across yeah i think i'm definitely a little bit too close to my ne near post here and i mean luckily enough that I'm long enough that in most scenarios that I do am, am a little bit out of position I I can make up for it with my length but I think yeah looking back at it you definitely want to be a little bit closer to the, to the middle of the goal and um, I think like you said the push off was important here I mean I think looking back at it the decision to go with two hands um, I didn't realize how much the ball was rising but of course you can get two hands on any ball and out of the danger zone I think um, definitely get a little help from the crossbar here, which helped me a lot last season. And hopefully it'll help me again this year if called upon. But, um, yeah, like you said, just 
sometimes I think it's a, it's a good example too, because sometimes you're, you're going to be out of position and that's natural to, but to be able to still make the save and, and keep the ball back in the net. Cause I think sometimes we work on like perfection, 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 but sometimes it's just going to come down to the athletic, the, the athletic ability or the will, or just the fortune of, of being able to still make that save. You know what I mean? So I think, of course, you can look back at it and say, I want to be here, but you want to be comfortable enough that if you're a little bit off your starting position, can I still make that save? You don't want to have to rely on only being in the right spot to, to like you said, I think like we were talking a little bit about or earlier on the show is kind of when guys are able to make these movements earlier, that save probably could have looked a little bit and been a little bit easier for me if I was in a better spot and doing the stuff that uh, led up to the execution of it. But because it wasn't perfect, I had to do something maybe a little bit extraordinary to, to make that save. But, but I do want to say this, and, and, and you know, Dane, honestly, thanks, thanks for being open and honest in, in regards to break, breaking down that play, dude. I mean, I, I always, I tell you what, man, I mean, every time we have pros on, everyone's like willing to be like just so humble about their plays and break them down. And they're usually more negative than we are. So, you know, I think that's the reason why you guys are pros. And uh, I'm holding a microphone um, is, uh, is for, that, for that reason. But um, I will want to say this playing devil's advocate is that, there was that cutback scenario like Omar was talking about. Like mm-hmm. there was that dude hanging out in the corner right there. And you did have to, yes, you had a player there supporting you right there, but there was still a very good chance that that ball could be play, played there. So your shift across to the near post, I mean, that's, that's very, very reasonable. What I do want to say though, is the fact that you were able to recover from that and still be able to make the play, I think is absolutely brilliant because mm-hmm. you said you went with two hands because you didn't realize how much that ball was moving or whatever. But the fact that you still shifted and like Omar was talking about, the head shape still attacking the ball, that's why you still got a little bit on it. And that's why you're able to mm-hmm. get it off the post. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I think kind of like you said earlier, reading the scenarios, but I think also, also not only the scenarios, but the people, I think when you get to the higher level and you start to know more people, you know, I know that is a quality striker. He's going to shoot more than he's going to pass probably. So in a scenario like that, even though the pass might be on, you probably got to play the shot a little bit more than some other guys that, you know, are kind of pass first guys. So of course you got to be prepared for everything, but it's not only being prepared for the options, but also knowing the opponent as well. I think it's important. Yeah. Omar, anything to add? Nope. I think again, that's uh a lot of times why certain players decide to pick certain techniques or certain positioning or uh, why they set a certain way is because they, like Dane just said, there's a lot more factors in play. And there's a lot of people who uh, have certain strengths that when you watch film, you can indicate that, but as like a, it's a Monday morning quarterback, you know what I mean? You're kind of just watching that as a, as a, as a fan and you go, why did he do that? And there's way more context behind it. Yeah, man. I mean, like, and, and I think, you know, one thing that, that I, I really love that, you know, that's been brought up here in regards to um, the situation of like knowing the players you're playing against, because I think Dane, I think that affects honestly your stance too. like based on Omar, you were talking about, you know, sometimes you'd see a goalkeeper and you'd be like, Oh, what are they doing right there? But again, you're not them. You haven't done the scouting on this player. You haven't recognized the tendencies of this player, or maybe you have, I don't know. I know you spend a lot of time online watching a tape, <laughs> but, uh, but Dane probably watches even more tape uh, of Minotas. So you go, I've got to err on the side of caution here more so than this. You got to look at like, you know, you, you know, pick your poison basically. Right, Dane. For, for sure. And I think 
you always want to be mo most cautious of the shot because the shot can come at any time and guys back lift in this league is a lot a lot different than when I was playing in college for sure guys are able to release the ball a lot quicker but I think even if you make the pass you gotta think I can still be able to adjust and if you make that pass that's not a goal but if he shoots it on target and, and I don't save it then it's a goal so of course you want to be able to cut up that pass but if you don't if you can't cut out that pass you're thinking he still needs to do another action in order to get the ball past me and if yeah, someone I'm, passes the ball in, the, in that scenario and they don't score, no one's going to say anything to you about it realistically, or very few guys, unless you real, you're really analyzing it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I want a lot of young goalkeepers to hear that right now because the thing is, is that I think a lot of times young goalkeepers watch a tape, they watch a clip or whatever of themselves or another goalkeeper, and all they think about is the action that actually took place as opposed to what were the scenarios that could have happened based on the positioning of the ball, based on the movement of the players, based on the shape of the team, all these things. And then you need to know all the three scenarios and then figure out, okay, if it were me, I based on what would happen, what would I do if this happened? What would I do if this happened? What would I do if this happened? And then did, this did happen, you know? So I think, I think it's so important for young keepers to hear that, man. So important, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a hundred percent the, the, the truth, and I think, again, why there are certain goalkeepers who uh, are at the level that they're at. A lot of times, you know, uh, Nick Romano didn't have the height, right? But he had certain other attributes that he realized he could actually, um, you know, bring to the to the limelight for himself. So, okay, what do I do to make sure that I can kind of bring those to the or get have those exposed? Guys, I'm I'm ranting here. I'm getting my, my head. Sorry, I'm skip me here. Skip me. Go to the next person. Wait, Mike. wait, 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 wait. What what happened? What happened? I was I was talking and I'm like this is going nowhere so I may as well just bow out. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I'm sorry, dude, guys. I just I, I, I do that no. a lot. I do that a lot. You know what I'm saying, man? Oh, I've probably done that on this podcast a few times, trying to think of the right word or things like that, and you like end up saying five <laughs> extra words instead. I know. I'm like, please, someone interrupt me for God's sake. <laughs> Dude there, dude, there was this time. So actually, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to, you know, you know, put you on blast or whatever, Omar. But like a couple of weeks ago, when we had Turner on, actually, uh, Omar oh, was trying to make this like eloquent point about like the future of goalkeeping and like where the position's going. And he went on like this like three minute thing, like diagramming like 20 <laughs> years from now. Goalkeeper mm -hmm. coaches are going to be like offensive coordinators. They're going to have like separate plays and they're going to like put up numbers and like, you know, their signals like, you know, goalkeepers mm -hmm. are going to be wearing wrist straps and they're going to be mm -hmm. calling the plays and stuff. And then like Matt, you just, he's, he <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but I mean, I think the game is like definitely mm -hmm. moving. <laughs> oh, yeah, anyways. Let's uh, well, we'll we'll start wrapping up. I know, I know, it's starting starting to get late right here uh, for you, Dane, and obviously you you got training, and obviously you know, um, you know, you you've got, you guys haven't had the announcement yet about Olympics, right? You guys are still no, no, because we have um Olympic qualifiers and World Cup qualifiers at the same time. So, just seeing how that squad is going to be split, I'm, I mean, getting called into the last January camp, um, I'm sure some players will be on on both rosters, but just being. I uh, hope my name's called for one and, and be ready to represent my country when, whenever they come calling. Dude. I mean, I mean, you've been on, you've been on, on, on such a career trajectory, man. I mean, like, you know, whether it's the 23s or whether it's the full team or whatever, you know, and obviously I know it was a tough choice for you between, you know, whether you were going to maybe go to a TNT camp and, and see what that was all about and everything like that. But I think, uh, I think Canada's in good hands. I mean, I mean, Omar, I mean, we, 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 I know we've been talking about this, how Canada's on the up and up, man. Canada is on the up and up. That's for sure. Oh my both God. I mean, men yeah, and you, women's. 
Yeah, so I got Alfonso Davies. I mean, the guy made a huge splash, and then all of a sudden now, I mean, winning Champions Leagues and stuff. So I'm pretty sure that puts you guys on the map. But I think you guys have so many complimentary pieces in the future that uh, the U.S. is – we're going to be – yeah, CONCACAF's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be – Yeah, for uh, sure. I think we have a, a lot of young players, but I think we also have a lot of experienced players right now that we're able to, to go through those hard times and kind of explain to our, to, to our young guys what it means to – we weren't always like this, you know what I mean? And we're still definitely yeah. building, but I think there's there's been definitely more of a confidence in ourselves and hopefully now, especially the little uh, boys and girls, seeing guys like Chris, our men and women like Christine Sinclair and Alfonso kind of grow up into that and they become the next one because, of course, we want that to kind of be the standard instead of just a, a one-off thing. Well, Dane, before before you were really, uh, you know, while probably watching soccer, Duende Rosario was our hero, you know. So for oh, me, it was sure. like, Duende I mean, Rosario, Dero, <laughs> the goal he scored against uh, the Galaxy. Okay, I've actually had the the pleasure of of training with him in the off season and stuff like that, just playing small side and pick up. And let me tell you, he, he might not have the fitness anymore, but he still has the, <laughs> the the technical attributes for sure. The class never leaves you, man. I mean, I remember the goal he scored against that. I think it was is it Chivas or the Galaxy? It was a free kick. It was just like a like a curler and I remember yeah, going yeah, yeah. what the hell who is this dude and then I think from there kind of just escalated and he was is a beast but yeah it's kind of sad I wish he was you know he had the opportunity to play in the you know multiple world cups like at his, mm-hmm. at his uh stature his class he deserved that so hopefully like you said the next generation you guys take that baton and you guys run with it and then you know hopefully it's the U.S. and you guys and Mexico I'm Mexican too so hopefully all three of you guys uh can uh make the next world cup Dang, what you don't realize about Omar is that Omar is everything. Omar is the United Nations of, cult, of cultures <laughs> coming together to create the goalkeeping social media educator that he is. That is when I post something like, about, yeah. That sounds no, I like, ever, I mean, growing up in Toronto, it's so <laughs> multicultural. Like you said, I could have could play for Trinidad and Tobago if I wanted to because of my dad. I mean, my mom's side of the family is from Scotland. So I think just growing up in Toronto, everyone was, was a little bit of everything. I remember coming to America and I asked my uh, college teammates at Maryland, I'm like, where are you guys from? And they're like, Maryland. Like, I was like, no, like, where are your parents from? They're like, Maryland. <laughs> and I was like, it was such like a, like a, like a mind twister for me because like growing up, everyone's was either from somewhere else or their parents or at least their grandparents are from someone else. So coming to America, that was definitely a little bit of a culture, culture shift for me. Yeah. I'll ask you one last question. Have you ever had the chance to meet Shaka yet? To meet Shaka? No, I have not. I have not. I mean, legend, dude. Um, uh, I, I built a really good relationship with Kevin Molino and I wish him all the best at, at Columbus this year. And uh, hopefully uh, plan to see my, my family in Trinidad, uh, maybe this off season or in the coming time. Of course, it's tough right now with COVID to, to really yeah. plan things out in the future, but to go back there and see, and I'm sure if I, hanging out with Kevin a lot. You can definitely introduce me to, to some of those guys. <laughs> for sure. by, the way, by the way, we've totally gone off track. Like, I, I think people are like, they're like, this is a goalkeeping podcast, right? They're like, I think it's a Canada podcast. I'm sure it's a podcast about Canada. Um, I actually do want to ask you, Dane, before we, before we go, because you are kind of in the mix right now and you're seeing the younger guys coming up. Like, do you think a lot of it is the fact that just all the MLS teams now and the academies and stuff, and obviously the new Canadian league and, and all of that, do you think that's one of the reasons why Canada has kind of been on the up and up at the youth level? Yeah, I think um, even looking back at it, I mean, I never played for, for Toronto Seas Academy, but there's a under-23 kind of semi-pro thing in Ontario called League One Ontario. And that's where you've seen a lot of guys like myself, Kamal Miller, Alistair Johnston, 
Um, a lot of these guys have come in. There's one in Quebec called the PLSQ. So I think kind of these semi-pro leagues where we, when we were 16 and 17, we were able to play with these older college guys or guys in the Canadian system. And we were able to, to kind of grow up a little bit more so that when we transition to, to, to college soccer, we'd come home for the summer. We had somewhere to play. And I think 12 guys, I think, from our 50-man provisional roster played in League One Ontario. And that's just guys in Ontario as well. So I'm sure if you broke down that 50 of which guys actually were from Ontario, a lot of us played in this league. But I think, like you said, the, the CPL, I think, is, is uh, going to expand and hopefully – uh, do great things for for things coming up, but unfortunately, I was I missed that a little bit. But I think, like you said, the grassroots and the youth. I think when you're able to invest in them, that's where you're really gonna see see the blossom. But now that these kids um, have a CPL for for the boys to watch, and hopefully a woman's side as well, because our women's national team has has been at the top for a long time, and hopefully those girls can see that in their in their own backyard as well, because it's definitely tough just watching on TV versus when you go to a game and you feel that atmosphere changes things a lot. Yeah. I mean, well, dude, I mean, we, we've been, we've been Canada fans, you know, you know, here for, for the last couple of years, obviously we've been following yourself right here, you know, Kaylin Sheridan, you know, obviously is, mm-hmm. is a good friend of the show and everything on on the women's side. Um, Dane, if anybody out there, if they want to follow you on social media, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Um, yeah. On everything it's Saint C 17, S A I N T the letter C and then one seven. Um, okay. Funny that you mentioned Kaylin because when we were younger, actually, we were in like the ODP, well, the equivalent to the ODP um, for Canada, which is called the provincial team, and we'd actually like train together sometimes. So I've I have a decent relationship with uh, Kaylin as well, and I hope she uh, recovers from her injury sooner rather than later. Dude, she's she's on her she's on the mend. We already saw her. She her, she was at TKI with uh, with Jill and Maria, and uh, and little Levi was uh, laughing laughing hysterically when the headers were coming right at her hands. So, uh, Omar, did you see that video? I saw did the volleys. I, I I saw the volleys. They were they were hitting, and I saw Levi kind of sitting by the balls. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was headers. Maybe I don't know. It was late at night when I was watching it, and I started like commenting on it and everything. And I think I think Jill and Maria were like, dude. Hank, like it's not that funny like i don't know why you think this is literally the funniest thing in the world because i was like this should be viral like why is not everybody in the world commenting on this um by the way just real quickly dane somebody's uh chris uh Silowich says thanks for the great friday night memories at ludwig and inspiring the next generation of keepers with a turtle emoji go terps baby go terps oh that's what that is oh my god <laughs> yeah ludwig was our uh our, our stadium at maryland so uh, oh my god friday i should have known that Definitely a big night. I mean, sold out crowds. Unfortunately, the crew is not rocking there right now, but uh, got their first win uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago. So hopefully they're able to, to build upon that. Dude, I'm just glad we didn't do that when Vartugian was on, you know, former former Maryland goalkeeper coach Rob Vartugian, because like he would be like, you don't know what Ludwig is? I'm going off his butt. Obviously, guys, you can follow Omar Zini at ProGK Academy underscore. Um, if you have any copyright infringement lawyers that you know uh, that would like to go after uh, the show, uh, <laughs> send them send them to uh, ProGK Academy at Gmail. No, I'm t- uh, <laughs> totally kidding right there. Uh, contact at InsideThe18Media.com if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion or at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social media platforms. That's all the time on Inside the 18, and we are out. Later, guys. Hey! Hey!
everyone, it's Michael. Before we move on to our next segment, want to remind you all to rate and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Literally takes 10 seconds and immediately makes you eligible for prizes. If you don't have an iPhone, borrow a friend's iPhone. It's just that easy. Thanks for all the support, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Madgett, live from Hollywood, California. With me, you know him as the czar of the virtual background, the one and only Omar Zini, who's got the most legitimate Portugal background I've ever seen in my life behind him. And the reason <laughs> is, is because, like I said, we have a true legend on the show today, guys. Uh, we have Dan Gaspar, who's coached in the Champions League. He's coached uh, for Portugal with the national team um, in World Cups with Iran. Uh, he's been all over the place, guys. Uh, Dan, honestly, th- thanks for making the time. This is this is pretty big time. It's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to share, you know, the art of goalkeeping with your listeners. Thank you so much. I have so much respect for you guys, and I'm humbled by the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, as, as some people who might have been on earlier on the stream uh, know, uh, you have a vast collection of trophies uh, uh, behind you which is just absolutely insane. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were having uh, issues with the, with the Wi-Fi before. They're like, you know what? There's too many trophies behind here. We don't have the bandwidth to showcase all the accolades this guy has gotten. Uh, so we've got, to, we've, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to remove that video, right, Omar? Is that what it was? Yes. Did FIFA come in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came in. I think they heard us you know, saying that if we ever needed any footage from the Champions League, we'd ask Dan, and they, they cut, that, cut the stream right there. But Dan, uh, if you don't you mind, blinded, Dan, I... You got- you got blinded by the bling. <laughs> uh, but no, Dan, I think, you know, if you don't mind for everybody that's just tuning in, and I know when we, you yeah. know, Mike edits this down, um, can you just kind of give us that breakdown that you gave us about your, you know, going to Portugal and then um, sure. just kind of all that? Yeah, back in 1993, the Portuguese national team uh, was coached by Carlos Queiroz, and they came to Connecticut to compete in the U.S. Cup. And there was four teams that participated, of course, U.S., um, Ireland, Portugal and Italy and Portugal was scheduled to play Italy at the yellow bowl here in Connecticut. And I convinced the board of directors at the Portuguese club that we had an opportunity to host their heroes. If they would mind, you know, having a banquet and et cetera. And they agreed. And that allowed me the opportunity to exchange some ideas with coach Carlos Queiroz, who few people know is a former goalkeeper. And I asked him if Portugal can produce great players like Uzebu like Figu, like Ronaldo, why is it that they can't produce a world-class goalkeeper? And we came to the conclusion that there was no elite formal structure to develop goalkeepers. And so I was persistent and, and that back in those days, there wasn't internet, it was faxes and just saying, look, I'll pay my way. Just allow me to have the opportunity to work with your best. His power of persuasion with the Federation He convinced him to have this American, which at that time was unheard of, to come to Portugal and to share his expertise in in goalkeeping. And uh, and that's how the uh, the opportunity emerged. I went to the U-17 national team in Algarve first. After a few days, a U-17 national team keeper uh, or coach came up to me and said, hey, Dan, um, you don't belong here. And I'm like, oops. He goes, you belong with the senior national team that's preparing for Italy, a World Cup qualifier. 
And they also happened to be in, in doing their camp in Algarve. So I went to my first training session the night before, as you can imagine, you know, you work all your life for this one moment. You don't get second chances for opportunities like this. So, you know, I'm walking back and forth in my hotel room. I'm down on my knees. I'm praying to everything and everyone to give me the courage to really produce. Coach Kedoz, who's a wise man, had me come in at 9.30 in the morning to train the keepers rather than during the team training, which was at 10, because he never seen me train goalkeepers. And he wanted to make sure that I wasn't an embarrassment uh, to him. So I was there at 9.30, got dressed in the locker room along with Victor B and, and Silvino and Nanu. And Victor B looks at me, goes, look at this guy. He dresses better than, than we do. And I said, look, I won't ask anything of you that I can't do. And we went out and we trained. And back in those days, I mean, there are standard equipment today, but it was pretty innovative back in those days you know, using tennis balls, reaction machines, weighted vests, weighted balls. And I was introducing that during my session. The team came on at 10 o'clock and the assistant coach was on the other half of the field trying to persuade them to go to their half to warm up. Paul Fruit at that time, who was a very, you know, famous player for Portugal, played in Spain for Atletico Madrid. He sat the entire team down. And he just started saying, spectacular, spectacular. So they all gathered around me and they gave me emotional, moral support because behind the goal, there was at least 50 journalists along with my dad who had a radio Portuguese program for, for 25 years, who told me later on that these guys are all ready to, to crucify this American. Well, they all sprinted to victory after the session and they said, hey, what do you think of this American? And he said, look, Dan Gaspar has the quality and the level of professionalism to train goalkeepers anywhere on the planet. So he, he, base, he blessed me like a superstar would when they believe in somebody. And they all backed off. And that's how the international jersey journey began. That's, that's insane. Do you realize how insane that story is, Dan? I mean, like Omar's <laughs> looking at that and he's like, man, why didn't that happen to me? Like Omar's like, I have to start an Instagram channel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, Jeez. I was fortunate. I was it's very insane. fortunate, but you know, uh, and when I was telling people, I, my father, who was my best mentor, my best goalkeeper coach, my best friend, I would tell him that I'm going to be the Portuguese national team goalkeeper coach. And he would point to his forehead and just tap with his index finger. Like I was crazy as most people did during those days. But you know, I was, I was a pain. You know, I was persistent. I mean, that, that I mean, honestly, like, like, I, I can't even, I mean, honestly, like that, I feel like they should like make a movie. I mean, out of this, like, I mean, like, you know, this, you know, some young American guy, you know, goes over, goes over there, you know, and he's like, oh, I've run some summer camps and things like that. And then like starts working with a Nash youth national team. And they're like, yeah, you're too good for this. Like you're clearly, you need to be working with our seniors who are getting, making millions and millions of dollars. You're like, man, I'm a real far away from new England. I'll tell you, you know, no, but you know, you know, guys, excuse me, Omar, you know, and I'm sure you okay. can relate this uh, with this, Omar. I mean, one thing that I learned early on in my career, we, we can't succeed alone. You know, we need to be surrounded by people that believe in us, that give us confidence to learn and grow, that share their their wisdom and knowledge and give us opportunities. And I've been extremely blessed to have those kinds of quality people around me that showed me the way. And, you know, my tribute to them is now is to get on, you know, podcasts like this, 
with Inside Eighteen and try to share the knowledge that I've gained with others and hopefully impact their career. I mean, look, I mean, and, and by the way, for those out there who, you know, who are listening right now, uh, you know, to the podcast, um, you guys may not know this, uh, but Dan is still very fit. Uh, he's still out there actually <laughs> running sessions. Himself. I mean, like over the summer during quarantine, you know, you were out there. A lot of people were like doing demos with like their field player, you know, outfield players. Like you're like, yeah, I'll do it myself. And you just went out there and ran them yourself. Well, I was home alone like everybody else. I was in quarantine. <laughs> And uh, I felt that I needed to give back to those keepers who are at home, you know, learning online, uh, you know, their academic studies and trying to give them challenges so that when they get back out there, uh, they'd have a competitive edge. Yeah. I mean, speaking of competitive edge, you know, one one of the things that I kind of want to do is I kind of as we start delving into unless Omar, you had anything else you wanted to add before we move on to the topic here? No, no, I think, you know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but you know, Dan, your story is very similar to a uh, story that I heard probably like three, four years ago about Tom Beyer. And I'm sure you guys probably know that yes. name. He was, yeah, the American, you know, played in Japan, stayed in Japan yes. with his wife and, you know, was on essentially on TV bringing exactly what you essentially wanted to bring to, you know, Portuguese goalkeeping to Japanese football. And through the grassroots way, he was on TV, I think, for like 13 years. Uh, every single every single Sunday and it was a part like so we were watching cartoons here and the, he was the one who was showing kids you know different tricks and stuff and then you fast forward and again it, it may have se- seemed crazy for him when he had first started but then you fast forward and you start noticing that young uh, players from like the Japanese women's team that won the World Cup and are formidable opponents of the U.S. and formidable across the world those are the, those are the players who used to be on that 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 uh, channel every single weekend watching so um, do you feel like from your I guess we'll get into it later, but Dan, just a quick answer for that is kind of his experience and Tom's kind of uh, influence in Japan. Do you feel like you were able to kind of have that similar influence with Portuguese goalkeeping? And then from that, I guess, um, template, you brought that back to the States and then you obviously have star goalkeeping Academy, which has been, you know, around for so many years. Mm, I have a lot of respect uh, for Tom Beyer. He's a mutual friend. We stay in contact on a regular basis And people in this country don't imagine or can't imagine the impact that he's had in Asia. It's really, really incredible. And again, he was persistent. He believed in, you know, developing young players at home. And he shared that message and that philosophy around the world. So really a tremendous, uh, tremendous guy. And and I would call him, you know, and I would hope to think that I'm in that same category where we're U.S. ambassadors, we're U.S. soccer ambassadors. We're, we're representing our culture. You know, my formal education was here in the United States, my coaching license, you know, uh, attending university and et cetera. Uh, and I learned the business of soccer in the United States, but I always wanted to try to learn the business of winning, which are totally two different aspects of our game. And for me to learn the business of winning, I felt I needed to go overseas where soccer was integrated into their culture. It was a passion. And so I learned a great deal. You know, whether I had an impact in Portugal or not, that's not for me to say. Um, I can say that there's a number of Portuguese goalkeepers who reference me and my methods, who stay in contact with me. And I'm just, uh, you know, extremely fortunate to have that platform in a country that really didn't have formalized goalkeeping education, really didn't have a mythology um, and that was one of the purposes that Coach Carlos Queiroz brought me to Portugal because we did the first ever 
goalkeeping coaching course in Portugal. We did a goalkeeping workshop for all uh, the goalkeeper coaches in Portugal. And I wrote a number of articles and et cetera. So that was a platform that allowed me, you know, to share my knowledge, but also to gain confidence, you know, that I had something to offer. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's funny you, you, you said, you said that Dan, because I think this really kind of leads into the topic. And by the way, guys, today's topic is, was actually one that, that, that Dan wanted to bring up right here. And it's kind of the relevance of the goalkeeper coach um, because you know, I, th- I think one of the things, and, and, you know, as, as we kind of start discussing this, Dan, um, is that the goalkeeper coach has, is really one of the reasons that you wanted to go over to Europe and yes, maybe they might not have not had a formal, you know, uh, methodology in regards to the goalkeeping aspect from the isolationist goalkeeper coach, you know, uh, technical standpoint, what they really did have though, was the integration of the goalkeeper into the actual team dynamics and, and kind of how that, you guys were kind of trailblazers to kind of the direction that goalkeeper coaching is going now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, what is the importance of the goalkeeper coach? And I'd like to answer that with a question. How important is the goalkeeper to the team? You know, I think it's fair to say that if you have an average goalkeeper um, and you have a quality or good team, that team now drops to an average team. But if you have an average team with an outstanding goalkeeper, with quality. Now that team becomes competitive and potentially can, can lift the trophy. So, you know, the goalkeeper coaches roles have changed over the years. And I think that we're going to get into that a little bit uh, later on, but for me, I always viewed goalkeeper coaches in, in several different partnerships, you know, the one that everybody understands the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper coach where and that particular relationship is usually very special and there's typically a very strong bond because there needs to be an open dialogue. There needs to be cooperation. Um, there needs to be motivation, which is essential. And in, in that particular relationship, you got to focus on mastering the techniques, the warmups, the cool downs, you know, establish the goals, establish training ethics, you know, mental conditioning, you know, introduce the joy of the game. So they fall in love with the game, you know, positioning, reducing the size of the goal. And then you get into the macro structure where it's the goalkeeper coach and the head coach. And that's really significant. Oftentimes that relationship isn't as strong as it should be. Also, the goalkeeper needs to realize that they can play without the fear of mistakes. Generally speaking, you know, when a goalkeeper makes a fatal mistake, the first reaction of a head coach is to, is to switch goalkeepers, you know, and the goalkeeper needs to play and without fear and understanding that they have the confidence of the coach, the head coach as well. And in that relationship, you need to have harmony. There needs to be interaction with the team, communication, coordination, uh, cooperation. You have to discuss the training equipment, the space, the training times, and the warm-up should reflect the objectives of the team. And then you have goalkeeper team and game, you know? I mean, who's the best goalkeeper coach, guys? Michael, it isn't you. <laughs> it isn't Omar. It isn't, it isn't Saskia. It isn't Gone, Dan by Kaspar. the way, but thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great timing. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I have to tell it like it is. <laughs> but anyways. Wow. Making, Maybe I should the, sign back off. <laughs> <laughs> no, stay on. Stay on. I wish I could see you. But anyway, um, the, the point I'm making is the game is the best coach, you know, and connecting the keeper 
to the game is extremely important because that's where you now get into the really differences in levels, the decision-making, the distribution, you know, the communication, the rhythms of the match. You know, when I'm preparing goalkeepers at the high level, if I'm playing against a team from, you know, from Norway or, you know, versus a team, you know, like Brazil or South America or Europe or Africa, my training methods and my preparation that week are going to be entirely different because the rhythms of the match are different. And so the goalkeeper needs to stay within the rhythm of the match. They can't be, you know, playing, you know, hard rock in their head and, and, and the game is jazz. It just doesn't work. So there needs to be, you know, that synergy. Um, but those are the kinds of partnerships that I, I believe are important uh, re regarding the goalkeeper coach. I mean, Dan, Dan, honestly, like one of the things that you just said right there, I've honestly never thought about. And, and you know, um, you know, we'll let Saskia chime in in, in, in a second right here. But Omar's been patient, been patiently waiting, uh, you know, with his lovely virtual background. But with Dan bringing up <laughs> the thing about the, the harmony and then you can't be you can't be coaching jet. You can't be coaching jazz you know, and you got hard rock in, in your head. And I've never really thought about that before is that you have to run your sessions based on the opponent that you're facing, as opposed to this is how we run our sessions. This is how we run our teams, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great point. And I think, you know, Dan, I'm just going to ask you a question. You know, I know we talk about, um, you know, certain objectives and, and making sure that, you know, there's harmony within the team and, and making sure the goalkeepers know the style and all that. But when you've been, you know, in a, in a full season, has there, has there been opportunities where, you know, you have certain objectives with each goalkeeper at the beginning of the season and then as the season gets, you know, full, you know, uh, and you guys have, you know, two, three games a week and midweek games and all that stuff. Is it difficult? Have you found it difficult to maintain the same objectives or are those objectives fluid with each goalkeeper? So, you know, I had a goalkeeper during the season and then, you know, during, during the season, he obviously is getting more and more games, but he wants to work on certain things, but it's like, you know, we have so many games. I can't have you, you know, serving with your left foot, even though that was an objective at the beginning of the season or, you know what I'm saying? So like, how have you, how have you been able to, you know, manage uh, those things and kind of come back to those certain points that you started off in the season with? I mean, that's, that's an excellent question, Omar. And, you know, the goal setting is always dynamic. It isn't static. And what you're doing with the goalkeepers is a reflection of their performances and where they're at, not only technically, tactically, physically, as well as mentally. At the highest levels, you know, it's, it's about managing egos. And goalkeepers are different. You have some goalkeepers who love to do video analysis. There's other goalkeepers who don't appreciate that. I've had a goalkeeper, you know, Preseason would enjoy video analysis, but during season, they wanted nothing to do with it. At the end of the day, it isn't me that plays the game. It's the goalkeeper that plays the game. When I get into that kind of environment, I find out what they like, what they, they don't like. It, you know, I have a certain number of days that belong to me, and I'll give them one or two days that belongs to them. It also, Omar, is a reflection of the culture. You know, in working on different continents, it, during my career, it's been very different approaches. For instance, when I worked with Japanese goalkeepers, they're very disciplined. They're always seeking perfection. They have a, you know, a regimen. Change for them is a disaster. It gets chaotic. They're extremely hard on themselves. They don't like physical contact. They don't shake hands. So I had to create activities that would allow them to have some combative activities so that they can be best prepared um, you know, for the Asian cup, 
Uh, they're always seeking to be and obsessed with perfection. You know, for them is, let's say we have a pregame warm-up, Omar. And, you know, we decide it's 10 volleys and then we move on to the next activity. If I stop at the nines, I mean, they're freaking out. You know, I'll, I'll working with Tony Mio as an example was entirely different. He only wanted to move on to the next activity until he was comfortable and confident with the activity that he was doing. You know, Portuguese goalkeepers, they tend to be, you know, again, the game. I mean, you got 11 million people in Portugal, you know, that depend on their heroes to give them happiness and pride. So, you know, they love to play. They love to compete. They're always curious about, you know, training innovations and they're complete players. They, and the thing about American goalkeepers, they'll ask you why, why are you doing this? You know, um, whereas when you're training goalkeepers overseas, they never challenge the coach. They never would ask why. And again, you know, uh, we got a great one on, on on the podcast now with Sashka. I mean, the female goalkeepers are just simply the best in the world that we've produced in this country. You know, I, I'd, I'd like Saskia, you know, to to to, to chime in, chime in right there. <laughs> See, well, he he had to he had to make up for uh, earlier when he was like, "It's not Saskia." No, because you had to, okay. You, I know it's not me. It's no, he, but he was he was trying to make a point in regards to just like, goalkeeper know, coaches and shit. It, it was just such timing. I know. Um, don't try to don't try to save me, Mike. It's okay. <laughs> I, I was listening. It's all right. But 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 no, Dan. <laughs> you brought up a good point that Saskia, I, I want to ask you because the thing is, is that you have been, you have been involved in different, what, whether it's different cultures in regards to different cultures internationally, different cultures in regards to the demand of the, the game and the level that you're coaching at or whatever, but the goalkeeper coach, the relevance of the goalkeeper coach is going to kind of be based on that dynamic of that level that they're coaching at, right? Like the way you're going to coach your UCLA keepers it's going to be a little bit different than if you were coaching the national team, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, right. Maybe well, bad example. They're very good. The level yeah. of my UCLA yeah. keeper. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we've talked about this before and, and no matter where I played and stuff, you take bits and pieces from everything to make yourself a well-rounded goalkeeper. Um, Dan's absolutely right. When I was in Japan, everything was so regimented and so like perfection driven. Um, but I took pieces of that to, to elevate my game individually. Um, and I think that when we were talking about like, how do you structure your training, like in seasons different than out of season, um, a good example for me is I have to fly to Colorado tomorrow. Uh, it's supposed to be a blizzard. (laughs) Um, that's why we play in the fall. But <laughs> so, but um, I tweaked my training today to to deal with um, circumstances that might come up if we have to if there's snow on the ground, if the field is slick, if we get moved from grass to turf, um, and and that's like those are things that in season you do in season you do. So, you know, a lot of stuff today was um, focusing on body behind the ball, rebound, skipping off the ground, movement and everything like that. And, you know, extra emphasis on body behind the ball um, because of the elements we might go into. So as a goalkeeper coach at this level, like that is, that's where you're tweaking things. It's not just, okay, here we're coming out and this is what we're doing. And we're doing like, you know, 
50 volleys or this or that and the other. No, like, you know, you have to, I'm not technically doing it for what the other team does per se. Right now it was more for the elements, but on other days I do it because I know the, the team might sh- like to shoot from, from outside. Like they yeah. don't play many balls into the box. So, you know, those leading up to the game, that will be the training. And it'll be, you know, having my goalkeeper see that situation. I see Omar mm-hmm. nodding his head, head head right here because I think, you know, one of the things that, that I'm just thinking about right now, and Omar, I, I don't know how, how you feel about this, is that we're just showcasing right there just the relevance of the goalkeeper coach in regards to things that a lot of times maybe the outfield player coaches aren't thinking about in regards to the goalkeeper and how important it is to have that that, 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 that wire between the, the outfield staff and, and the, and the goalkeeper, because you've been in situations before where you didn't have, let's just say a goalkeeper coach. And, and a lot of the times, you know, a lot of these things aren't taken into consideration. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I just kind of nodding my head into to what both Dan and uh, Sasha were saying, just because I think now as well with, the new innovations and there's so many people, you know, creating different uh, like non-grip gloves just to, you know, get used to your handling technique. Then we have soccer balls that are oddly weighted. So now, you know, through traffic, you have to have your body behind the ball. So there's so many different resources now and equipment that can actually help you, you know, get ready for a game in Colorado in a blizzard. And I think as goalkeeper coaches, because we were goalkeepers uh, at one point or another, depending on what level as well, you know, sometimes you never play on turf at the pro game. So most likely you're trying to get your goalkeepers who are playing on grass, like at US, uh, UCLA, to wear studs. And you just, you know, you know, there are certain things that goalkeepers need to have where like, hey, today you need to bring out the studs so we can get that prepared. Cal said LA, we only play on turf. So it's just those kind of things. And again, those are the, in my opinion, what, I loved about Cal State LA is that the head coach didn't pretend that he knew certain things about goalkeeping and it empowered me. He would say, Omar, tell me what you need from the goalkeepers. Tell me what you think the goalkeepers need. This is the scouting report that we're looking at. What do you think they need for this weekend? I'm going to tell you what my team needs and then tell me what the goalkeeper uh, needs in the sessions as well. So we can try to, you know, simulate everything for you. So it's just, again, that link between the, the head coach, but the head coach also has to understand and respect what the goalkeeper coach provides. Right, but at the same time, even with like us going through certain things today, like whether it was um, distribution through from the goalkeeper, um, where not to play it because of their strengths, like you know we're playing into their hands, into in into this and that and the other, and and that is a open communication between myself, the goalkeepers, and the head coach and the assistant coach. You know, it's not like okay, let's jump in and just do it. No, it's like hey guys, this is what we have to do. We're going to simulate some stuff this is where not to play the ball. And in other situations, that is where to play the ball. So, you know, as I said, you know, in season is different than out of season. Yeah. You know, you know, Dan, I want to ask you because obviously, you know, coaching at the highest of levels and everything like that, was it, was, was it, was it a kind of, I don't want to say eye opening or kind of, uh, you know, kind, kind of empowering to you when, when Carlos was just so adamant that, you know, he wanted, he wanted your input on this. He wanted your input on that, you know, um, as opposed to maybe before where you would kind of, I don't want to say the goalkeeper coach in America traditionally was kind of put in the corner, but kind of mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all depends on the relationship that you have between the goalkeeper coach and the head coach. If you're fortunate and the head coach is open-minded and they respect your opinion um, and they, and there's an exchange and there's feedback on what the goal and the purpose is for training and how you can best prepare the goalkeeper to meet the mission of the team and the head coach. That's fantastic. That isn't always the case. You know, that's something that's, 
that's earned, you know, and then you can go above and beyond that. You can get into free kicks and set pieces. You can work with your back line. It becomes more challenging at a higher level because once again, you're dealing with egos, not only the head coach, but with the assistant coaches. I mean, you know, we have assistant coaches that are becoming knowledgeable about training goalkeepers, but I don't have a clue what it feels like missing an open net. I don't have a clue what it means about scoring a brilliant goal to win a game. Just like the assistant field player coach has no clue about making a save that wins the game or making that blunder, that fatal mistake that loses a game. Or, you know, Omar, Omar and Sashka, you understand what I'm saying? That journey when the ball crosses the goal line, it's only a few yards, but man, is that torturous to pick up the ball at the back of the net. So those are intimate details that I believe if you're a former goalkeeper that translates into a better understanding, um, especially on the mental aspect of it. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that that's always an open debate is like fitness tests, you know, and a lot of field player coaches require the goalkeepers to have the same fitness tests as All my players. life. <laughs> right. So, and you know what? I mean, it, and I, I struggle with that. I'm dealing with it right now. I'm having a discussion right now with the head coach about this. And, you know, um, I could take a field player who's the fittest on the team. And within, you know, 10 or 12 minutes, I have them crawling off the pitch. Well, I always tell that story, Dan, <laughs> about how Tony took um, um the girls were bitching. I won't say who the national team, like why, when we're doing fitness training, the goalkeepers over there doing like pressure training or something like that. So one day Tony said, everybody grab a ball and took the entire national team through like 10 pressure training drills. And let me tell you, and Mia Hamm tells the story. She never bitched about it again. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, a, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a great story and it's very, uh, it's very relevant. I mean, if I, you know, if I want to be a good swimmer, I don't run around the swimming pool. If I want to be a good pool player, I'm not going to run around the pool table. Well, but you know, I, I think gotta... that in the argument of that, Dan, I think that there is a baseline of fitness at a certain level. Yes. And I think that if you're coming in and you're doing a fitness test to test like a, a me, like a medium level, like a baseline, like, oh my God, my dogs agree. <laughs> they, they want to get the fit. Well, 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 while that's going on, Omar, actually, I want to, you know, uh, get in with you right here, because I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've discussed in regards to the goalkeeper coach and, and nowadays, obviously, Dan, as, as we know, there's that there's that element of, of wanting the Sorry. goalkeeper coach to be involved in so many aspects of the game and so many aspects of the of, oh, just... of of, of the of of the club um hold on let me finish my thought really quick oh, sure oh, okay sure. my point being is that there is an argument there for just having a baseline of fitness like are you mm -hmm. like here's a test it's an athletic test this is your your kind of like your range of what we expect if you're below this range and i don't care if you're a field player or a goalkeeper you're not fit period and so then that's an issue you know, what you get above that goalkeepers will be different than field players and stuff. Fine. But if you're below this, then you didn't come into camp fit period, no matter what position you're playing. And I do believe in that. I do. I do believe in that. I like the challenge of that, you know, regardless of what position you're playing to have that baseline, like you said, but I was involved in a situation where it was a Cooper test. They had to do it in 12 minutes oh, and the, st the starting goalkeeper came in at 12 minutes and five seconds. 
And do you know the starting goalkeeper was out for about six weeks until he made the 12 minute? Oh, and and and, and sounds and like missed, Anthem uh, of the coach. And missed and missed a number of matches. I mean, well, that's you ridiculous. Know, no, but it's it's true. This is just a Division One program, so. In any case, I'm just sometimes I struggle, and I and obviously there needs to be a level of fitness, and if you're at a quality program, that's to be expected. But it's just it's different. It's the the, yeah. the you're you're talking your home is your goal, your real estate that you own is your goal area. That you know it's all about explosiveness, as you guys know. You know it isn't about endurance. No, yeah. no, and so the Cooper test, like I would. I wouldn't agree with the Cooper test as a fitness, as a baseline fitness test. Do I agree with maybe the beep test changing direction, short, short distance and stuff like that, depending on what the baseline is. Yeah. There's some tweaks to the keeper to the beep test that we've done. Um, whether I think cones or shuttles, is there a baseline there because it's quick change of direction and explosiveness? Yeah. You know, but yeah. do I think one twenties are like a fitness test that you should find a baseline for keepers to join in? No. Like the baseline test, the test has to be all encompassing across the board of every player on the field. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't just feed into your, you know, your outside, your outside wingers or your out that that are running eight miles a game. You know, know, and I've had situations where the keepers come to me after the fitness test and they're shattered. Mm -hmm. Not only are, not only are they shattered, but their recovery time is a lot longer than the field player who's accustomed to that type of uh, challenge. Yeah, you know? you know, it's funny, Dan, while, while you bring that up, actually, I want to kind of throw that back to Omar because Omar and I, we've had these discussions in regards to the fitness and, and you've been in situations either as a coach or a player where they've been kind of, you know, there hasn't been that, that direct connection in regards to understanding like, hey, do you realize what we just did and now what you're expecting out of the goalkeeper right now? Right. You know, you wouldn't expect the same thing out of the field players if we had just done this right now, right? Well, because a lot of times the next thing after fitness tests is something that's like something low impact running wise on field players, which means some kind of near far slot or like power finesse shooting. <laughs> so you got the field players that are like standing in the line doing like power finesse. And you got the goalkeepers that just did a beep test that are flying all over the place. Not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I mean, it's, it's, uh, I used myself as an example. And I mean, I, I, you know, I I definitely did a lot of goalkeeping fitness uh, in my off seasons at at Davis. And then during the season or getting myself uh, ready for the season, I didn't do enough running. And I felt like the goalkeeping side of things was great. But then my body started to break down. I didn't do enough strength training. I didn't do enough band uh, assessments or anything Uh like that. So probably about the 10th, you know, 12th game, my the physical side of me started to deteriorate and then also when that deteriorates it gets into your mental and then all the goalkeeper fitness and all those decisions you had at your fittest as a goalkeeper those started to deteriorate as well so as uh, sauce said there needs to be a a, a baseline mm-hmm. that you come in at and then from there we start sharpening it up but you know i yeah, had a goalkeeper you come one time in at that baseline omar then some of that if i send you home with something part of that is your baseline running but the other part is yes keeper fitness, but I can get you fit. Like I can get you keeper fit from being baseline fit. If it's, it can't do it the other way around. It'll take me too long. If you come in like keeper fit and you will break down eventually. I agree with that. that 
And that was, you know, I had a friend of mine who went to, uh, to USF university in San Francisco. And he was telling me he's two years older than me. And he was telling me that, you know, the, co the coach would sit on top of a hill and he'd, they'd watch them run. And he's like, don't worry about it. He's like, just, you know, again, the advice you're getting from people is very contextual. You have to understand. He was like, dude, don't worry about fitness prior to the season. Cause once you get there, they're going to run you to whatever. So you, you'll That's get fit ridiculous. there. Yeah. But again, for him, it was like, he's a, he's a, of a guy who, you know, takes care of his body and all that. But for me, it was like an excuse not to do anything. And then Ruta awakening i get there my freshman year and then you know the, they kill us in preseason i'm getting in shape and getting fit but then that plateau starts to really come a lot sooner than you want it to so i think again that's the the evolution of science and i'm sure dan it can attest to this as well i mean maybe maybe not because you're coaching at such a high level so maybe they've been more advanced <laughs> but you know at cal state la and other places that i've coached you know we the science has been cal state you know, la porto it's all the same right omar coaching at the highest level and for me playing at the highest level the bottom line is you like you have to maintain something all year round and if you're going to be one of those players that ebbs and flows is okay i'm going to get really fit i got two i got three weeks until i come into preseason or i got a month until i come into you know camp or something so i'm, I'm going to work really hard and then the times i'm off i'm going to like you know chill and then, so you're always like ebbing and flowing. And what you want to do as a player to all you players out there, you want to keep a balance. You want to maintain a certain level of fitness that when you have to spike, when you have to say, I have two weeks, I got to come into preseason. I have two weeks, I have to come to camp now or a month. I'm going to elevate my training, go harder. But I always have this base. Like if you keep going below that base, guess what? You're going to get hurt, period. You're going to get hurt and don't ever count on rolling into a national team camp, a preseason camp at any level and expecting them to get you fit. Because when people ask me, what's the one thing they can do coming in, be fit because I can work on everything else. But if I have to spend two weeks getting you fit, I'm going to be pissed. Period. Now, but I do want to say this though, real quickly. Is Dan's still on. No, Dan's still on. <laughs> yeah. Dan's, Dan, Dan's Dan definitely still on. But I'm I do want. I'm a listener. I do want to. I do want to say this personally because, and Dan, you might be able to help me out right here. It's like you know, from from the mental aspect, right? You were bringing up the Cooper test, right? Um, I honestly would remember, and I think this was a detriment to my development in college. Is I would spend. The first, the last couple, you know, last few weeks before coming into college preseason, Running trying to pass the Cooper freaking <laughs> test. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I ended up spending, I ended up training to pass some stupid test that had nothing to do with my goal, with, with whether I was going to be able to That's play true. as a goalkeeper that season. And now I come into camp and now I'm behind in certain areas because I've just spent the last three weeks working with a trainer to get to me to be able to pass a test <laughs> under 12 minutes. Congratulations. I finally do it. And then three weeks later, I can't pass it anymore. <laughs> The point I was trying to make is that, you know, each position has its own requirements of fitness. And I've had oftentimes a goalkeeper tell me that they're fit and their definition of being fit is, is, you know, these long distance runs and et cetera, that have nothing to do with the position. And then I'm with them after five, seven, 10 minutes and they're, you know, they're vomiting over at the corner, they're in the corner. Yeah. So, you know, I agree with Sasha in terms of having a base, but let's not neglect what your position requires no, and make and, sure that. And like I said, my, if you give my summer program, you have to integrate both. Like you better mm -hmm. be hitting the ground, you, you know, cause yeah, you could come in and do the beep test or something like that. Fine. But when I'm, when we're going over and we have to start training and you haven't been hitting the ground, you haven't been getting up and getting down. You haven't been exactly. doing that movement. We now, now you're going to get hurt as well. So it's gotta be both. 
Agreed. You know, Dan, I got a question for you right here. You know, obviously you yeah. coach at the highest of levels. Do, do you feel that now with the way that the game has evolved, that like the, 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 the isolated goalkeeper coach is a thing of the past and that really what they're looking for are assistant coaches who have a specialization in goalkeeping? Look, you know, training goalkeepers on a separate island, isolated from the team, has some value and has its merits. However, the game has evolved, the coaching has evolved, that to fully maximize the potential of the goalkeeper, they need to be integrated um, within the team structure for all aspects. As I mentioned earlier about communication, coordination, distribution, um, those sorts of things. So it has its value and I continue to believe it has its value. Um, however, uh, the emphasis now, the modern method of training, there's more integration and there's, there's a lot of changes. I mean, the advances in technologies, the collection of data is so impressive now. You know, the, the, the increased interaction between goalkeepers and field players, mm -hmm. the rule changes, right? The back pass changed, you know, uh, immensely the training methods of, of goalkeepers. So, you know, social media, the access to information, um, so much has changed. And, you know, there's less emphasis on technique and, and more on decision-making. But guys, I'm gonna say something, two things that I think are gonna be very controversial and we're gonna have a debate on. Uh -uh. And based, based, <laughs> no, no, based on my observations, you know, there's two things that I'm concerned and, and I struggle with, and I need you guys to, you know, to tell me otherwise, but, you know, this star save, this K save, this uh. block, <laughs> It drives me absolutely Oh my insane. God, Dan, <laughs> you know, oh, it, it drives me crazy. I'm, I'm so happy you're with me on this because- Absolutely you know, insane. You, you take that save was transferred from indoor soccer, from futsal, from ice hockey, where the goal is smaller, where the puck or ball is smaller, where the spaces are tighter. And basically it's survival, just any sort of reaction to keep the thing. Now it's being introduced. I'm, I'm traveling around and I'm seeing keepers taking that positions when shots are 18 yards away. You, you know, know, so where has the courage gone? Where has the bravery gone? You know, but, uh, Dan, and, I say this all the time and the guys know it, it drives me crazy. It's like okay. you're, fi you're five to 10 yards away and you're doing a K-save and what's happening, you're going to the ground, they're just putting the ball five yards above you, five feet above you and it's going in the goal. You're not yeah. doing it at the right time. You're not, it's, it's not trained properly. It, it, where is the, the courage? Where is getting to the 50-50 ball, hands to the ball, smothering the ball or beating them there or then closing the space, standing them up or, you know, it's, that's gone. And this case save sucks. I'm sorry. It sucks. Yeah, it I does. Don't. It does. And it's a last resort. And if you're in that position, several things went wrong. You didn't communicate properly <laughs> to shut it down. You didn't put pressure on the shooter or ball and you, it's the last resort. It's the last option. And the, and the professionals that are doing it at the highest levels, they're just trying to avoid to get injured. If yeah, you the, see they're their, not even doing it good either, either. How many you know, times have I watched De Gea try to do it and get scored on? Like, and his head is, yeah. his eyes are away from the ball. You know, his head. Turning coming. his head so, the whole night. So that's one. The second one, we are losing, my friends. We are losing, my friends, the art of catching. We really are. Today's day and age, if you block a ball, you get accolades for it. Now, yes, the balls are lighter. They're hit harder and et cetera. 
but we can't catch more. The fear of making the mistake is so great that now we're just punching, blocking uh, balls out of the goal. There's no better player in the world than when a goalkeeper has the ball in their two hands. They are the masters. The game stops. We have our privilege to use our hands and we have to master catching. When I was young, I used to strike thousands of balls against a brick wall until I could kick it as hard as I could and I would hold it. It was one touch goalkeeping. And I, and I believed at that time I could hold everything. And when I had some doubt, okay, I, you know, I boxed or punched or deflected with the heel of the hand. But today, everyone's blocking. Everyone's deflecting. They're not keeping possession, not for themselves or the team. I mean, you, you guys know my answer again to this. Uh, no, I, I want, but I want to hear Omar. I want, I want to hear, I want to hear Omar. I agree this is great. With you I feel a like a thousand percent on this. A thousand I feel like percent. I'm on, I feel like and I'm on part in the I, interruption or something. I think part of that, Dan, comes from kids watching. And, yeah. and I will look at people that do it. I'll look at kids that do it. And I'll be like, I didn't strike the ball that hard at you. What are you doing? Catch the ball. Like, because, because, you know, you see an EPL goalkeeper or somebody like that, that, you know, maybe they're dealing with a ball coming at 80 miles an hour and it's moving all over the place. And that's what happened. I go, I just knocked you a volley in your pocket. Catch the ball, catch the ball. Cause the one thing we don't want to do is give up rebounds. And that's maybe I'm old school. I'm sorry, but I, I think it's, a, I, I say, and I agree with that. All my goalkeepers better be catching the ball at UCLA. You better be at least at least control catching, which is if you have doubts, just knock it down in front of you and sweep it up. No, no. So I want want to say this right now because I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. And I want to I want to see how Omar was obviously somebody who breaks down film of of goalkeepers at all the different levels and everything like that. Now, personally, my devil's advocate thing right here with this, Dan and Suskia, is that is that and I want Omar Omar to comment on this right here is that you only know what you know. And if youth goalkeepers are being taught something and they're not being taught the why of what to do something or even being presented with the opportunity of learning how to handle properly or how to how to go down into a smother situation or stay in a compact shape or whatever, they're not going to be able to do it. Right, Omar? Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree with that. But also, too, I think. Uh, you know, now with breaking down so much stuff and have people send me so many different clips, the evolution of social media has not only, you know, brought the blocking technique to the forefront because of goalkeepers like De Gea, goalkeepers like Neuer, Ter Stegen, all the guys who are, you know, the best at doing it. And it's also exposed and almost pushed that out of the game. You know, I don't know how many people I've had on here. We've had on here, Mike, in different, you know, uh, different uh, settings who despise the block save. And then to your point, Mike, as well, it's, at the same time, but these kids are watching these games mm-hmm. without any context. They're being taught these things without any context. So, uh, as I, like I, you know, Sask famously always says, these kids are so literal. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of these kids don't know how to watch film. So I think again, it's it's yes, it's one of those things that we need to continue to bring up. But in my opinion, too, it's it's not so much like, hey, we detest this technique, don't use it. It's more of just like, hey, this is a technique that if you use it in the right settings, for sure, it's going to be useful for you. But right now you're defaulting and these, these players are all defaulting. So I think, yes, it's one thing for us to, to, to mention it, but also to understanding when it's the proper time to use it. Right, and that's something that we always talk about. It's like you have to understand when and why. Like whether it, it, it even is blocking the ball and not catching the ball, whatever situations. I, I watched a video of a player and the entire drill, she was like just pairing the ball, blocking the ball. And I was like, well, maybe that's the drill. Like I was like, you know, watch, I was watching it. And then I realized, no, that's what she's being taught. Like 
there's no reason for her to do that right here, catch the ball. Like, and so I was watching it and watching, I was like, wow. I was like, this is what she's being taught right now. Just, just get it out of, you know, get it out of your area. It's not your problem now. And I was just like, oh my God, open your hands and catch the ball, catch the ball. Just please catch the ball. And yeah, um, yeah you know, I think, kids are literal they see De Gea they see they see people doing things but in what context and that's why I yeah. said you know how is the ball traveling what was the movement on it what was the situation like you know it's a lot different than me me hitting a ball at like a, a 10 year old <laughs> like yeah. yeah and I think and, and Dan I don't know what you think about this but you know uh, Anthony White from Bournemouth or formerly at Bournemouth he brought up the idea that hey we shouldn't be doing volleys and and you know, serving that ball straight to their hands every single time because that's not really, uh, it's more of a technique. It's not really a skill. You're not really, uh, you're not going to be able to use that, that same skill set that you're training every single day with like, you know, 20, 30 volleys to your hands. You're not going to be able to do that in a game. It's very, very rarely does that ball come straight to your eyes and you're going to be able to catch the ball like you do with a volley. So I think, again, that's also one of those things where, uh, discussions like that are very important. It's like, okay, is it better to just start this, the training session with services off the ground or even with drop kicks? Because drop kicks, as you know, as coaches know, they vary a lot more than just straight volleys. So again, those are the context pieces. I think Sauce, you're trying to, you know, you're you're discussing as well. And and then for you, I mean, I'm sure you may have heard that. Do you think that that's something that we should try to work out of the, out of training sessions? Like no more volleys, everything off the ground, or every half, you know, everything half uh, off of half volleys. Nothing replaces striking a moving ball. You know. What did you say, uh, Dan? Nothing, nothing replaces striking a moving ball. No, of course. From the, from the ground. Okay. I think volleys can be part of a session. I do use them part of the session uh-huh. in the in the warm up phase, in a warm up phase. But we never finish with a no. ball. You know, it's just getting them, getting their hands warm, getting their hands warm, making sure the hands are shaped properly. Make sure they're receiving the ball. You know, the, the biggest thing that I have found, not the biggest, but one of the things that I have found is our goalkeepers are robotic. They're too rigid and they're not flexible enough. So if I take a ball and, and throw it off a brick wall, it's going to come back hard. And a lot mm-hmm. of goalkeepers are that stiff. If I take a ball and, and throw it into the net, the net's going to embrace it. It's going to welcome it. It's going to shape uh, itself to the ball. So our bodies have to be like pillows when we receive the ball. So to answer your question, Omar, I think it's a fair, valid point, um, but I'm not going to eliminate it from, you know, yeah. my, my toolkit and I'll use it. Um, and, and, and also in volleying the ball, it isn't just the goalkeeper stationary. You can volley while they're moving, uh-huh. you know? So it, it's, it's, it's a, a portion of my session. I will continue to do it, but I'll always finish up with a, you know, a, a match related or match condition situation. No, and I agree with you, Dan, on that. Like, it's a build for me as well. First of all, any kid listening out there, go take a ball and volley it against a wall and catch it 100 times. Do it there three times go. a week. Just do it. It's what I did when I didn't have anybody to play with. I would take it. I would go out to a tennis wall. I would take and I would volley. Not, not to mention it helps your kicking, but number two, it helps your timing. The closer you get to the wall, the faster your reaction. See if you can get your hands up. Absolutely. You know, so you know, we don't all have, you know, you can train yourself by doing that. Number one, number two, hand eye coordination, timing, quickness. I use the volley in the beginning. There's always movement. It'll graduate, it'll graduate into um, the ball, a ball on the ground, a half volley, a moving ball and everything. But in the beginning, let's get your, let's get your, let's 
let's clue you in. Let's get your eyes going. Let's get your hands going. Just let's get some rhythm. And then the ball, then it's a progression. And, and I won't get rid of that either. But kids yeah. out there, you don't always have money to shoot on you. And if it's your mom and dad, and I'm pretty sure they're not striking the ball properly at you. So, you know, go to a wall, knock them out, knock it out because you'll start holding more balls than you ever believed if you do that. I agree. Wall training is terrific. And then I would progress to a big round tree because then because you don't you have know no idea where the ball's going. <laughs> and, and now you're working on catching and you're working on reflection. And, and I just want to finalize with this on, on this particular topic is, and goalkeeper coaches should have pride in striking their ball. Absolutely. Two things on that. Number one, they won't be striking balls for the rest of their lives. There's going to be a point in their career. And that's where I'm at right now where I can't strike a ball nearly as hard or as accurate as, you know, a, a 20 a 20 year old in college. Okay. So be prepared as a goalkeeper coach, how are you going to transition out of that? How are you going to phase out of that? And mm -hmm. now I bring in field players when I train mm -hmm. uh, my goalkeepers, even if it's a private session or a small session, small group session, I bring field players in. And then the last thing is, I still haven't met a goalkeeper coach who can strike the ball like Ronaldo. I don't know if you met, you've met Omar, you've met Omar, you've met Omar now. So. <laughs> well, I'm, Dan, I'm going to agree with you on that. Like, I'll tell you the other day, I pulled my quad right before yeah. game the other day, because I was shooting the ball so hard at Lauren because of how strong she is and everything that I have to bring in the field players who like, you know, who can just knock that ball and knock her into the back of the net and challenge her. I look, I can kick a hard ball and stuff like that, but you know, I'm getting up there and, and I was like ice and my quad, you know, but yeah. if you can utilize that, Omar, just shut up. You're 28. If you can, <laughs> you can util, utilize that. And I have um, kids that are coming off the, you know, rehab or whatever, and they're allowed to strike a ball. These girls can, these girls can hit a ball and it, it graduates yeah. into that. And I will use that 100% because that's more realistic for them. But now, now, now that's actually just coming into, in, in, into getting back to the topic about in regards to relevance. Like this is an example right here of where like the goalkeeper needs to goalkeeper coach needs to understand how much relevance they have in this situation in regards to getting their ego out of the way. Omar, I know this has been a conversation that, you know, that we've had in the past in regards to, Yes, like Dan, I love the fact that you brought up. I haven't met a goalkeeper coach who can strike the ball like Ronaldo. No, I mean, it's it's very true. If you want to simulate the game, we need to match the demands of the game of the level of the keepers that we're coaching at. That being said, same thing, Omar. If you're hit, and I'm not just saying you, I'm just talking to you. Um, is that if you're training a 10 year old and you're hitting the ball like Ronaldo, that's not realistic to the demands of their game either, right? Yeah. No, I think that was like the first time you've ever brought that up to me. I was just thinking, damn, okay, you're right. Like these kids aren't going to see a service like this in a game. So I need to probably, you know, take a little bit less off of it. Try, you know, work on my, on my, you know, slotting the ball a certain way versus trying to put power behind it. Cause most likely they're not going to be able to see that or get that in the game. So they're not going to get a crisp strike. They're going to get, and you have to think about that. Like even depending on the game, certain at certain levels, that ball is going to dip. It's not going to keep rising. It's, it's a totally different strike from a different level. We can't just get up there and bam, 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 depending on yeah. your age group. No, I think also too, um, 
again, this is a conversation I had with Anthony White and, and he was telling me, he said, Hey, I sent him one of my sessions and he was like, look, you know, I like the, I like the idea. I like the concept Omar, but you're striking the ball on the final action, the exact same way. Every single time I was using a rebounder and it was coming back and I was hitting it first time on the volley. And he's like, the idea is there. They're moving to the post. You're getting it off the rebounder. Great. But what happens in a game? They're not going to get the same shot every time. So mm -hmm. when that ball comes back to you, why don't you bring it down with your right thigh, strike it with your left foot? Why don't you bring it down with your chest, take a, two, like a second or two, and then strike the ball? Very rarely are goalkeepers going to move, and then right when they finish their movement, they're going to get a shot. Most likely it's going to be one or two seconds from their final, final movement or their idea of their final movement until they get the next shot. So from there, you need to train that into your drills. So in my head, I'm like, damn, that's so true. You know, I'm doing the same movement, but I'm not getting, they're getting the exact same result at the end of it. So I need to change it up a little bit. So yeah. again, it's, it's, it's little pieces like that. that I think the kind of the set, the set, social media aspect for me has really helped because so many people have opinions and so many people have like, you know, Dan as well from Portugal, you have the idea from Portugal, from Iran, you have all these different things that you've been able to see that when I show my sessions to people, you might say, Hey, look, this is something that we're training in Iran. No one's really on it yet. You should probably try to you know, implement, implement this a little bit more. And then I try it and it works. You know what I mean? And it's crazy until eventually everyone starts to do it. Then it's normalized. But I think that's the beauty of it for me, at least the evolution of social media. Let's well, yeah. not forget this. The skipping balls are so uh, important and the most difficult to read. <laughs> that are most difficult to read and and there's you know uh, there's a no, there's a number of goalkeeper coaches that neglect that kind of that kind of strike so that's really important i'm glad that you were you were doing that today absolutely i was doing it, it rained all last night and stuff like that we've got to go to colorado i don't know what the field situation is going to be i know it'll probably be wet and i'm like i'm going to use Thank God it rained last night. I'm going to use this to my advantage and we're going to work on skipping balls and we're going to work on that quick boom, boom and like your timing and getting your body behind. You have to, you have to utilize that. And I think Omar, for me, with you using the rebounder and him making that comment, like I make, I try to make sure that when we're doing something, like it's not the same strike. Like I put it every situation into it I possibly can. Sometimes I'll just tip the ball to the right and the keepers will stand there and they'll be like, what? I'm like, what? It's a, what? what it's through ball go get it you know yeah. just because i said we were doing this doesn't mean that's not a live ball you know and so it's keeping kind of your keepers on your toe on their toes in that sense variation is yeah. important and also working on deflections is crucial most of your goals are not world-class goals most of your goals are mistakes absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. i think i think that was sorry to cut you off Seth, but i think that that as well when you talk about context and again you know probably saying this so many times but when you're watching a session as well, like instead of, I used to be like that when I'd watch someone's session, I'd be like, I don't do it like that. This is, this is not, this is not what I, you know, this is not what I want to watch. This is not great. This is not what I perceive as a good session. And then again, you get that cut, those comments of like, Hey, we're actually working on things that we started as an objective. We talked about earlier in the podcast, an objective on week one. And then it kind of came up in like, you know, game number five. So we wanted to go back to it. This is a session specifically for that. So Sask, if I were to see you this coming week or today, maybe, and your goalkeepers are pairing and deflecting because you're using a wet surface or you're trying to recreate a wet surface that you guys are going to play on and you're saying hey you know even though this weekend we most likely we want you guys to try and hold things this weekend's going to be very very uh Absolutely. the field's going to be it's going to be extremely wet so 
Can we start working on steering? Can we steer our deflections out of danger? And I'm going to put you in positions today where that happens. And as somebody who's, you know, st- sitting away and not yeah, hearing Juan the conversations you're having. Yeah, Juan was standing over there. And I'm sure he was looking at me like, what the hell is Saski doing? And yeah. like Jane came walking up and she's like, how was your session? And I was just like, well, I'm focusing on the elements that we're about to walk into. I mean, it's going to exactly. be 30 degrees. It's going to be snowing. Again, I don't know if we're going to move to turf. I don't know how wet the field's going to be. And this is going to be a situation. Because if I was a coach and I came in, I'd be like, you guys better skip this ball in at that goalkeeper because it's going to be taking off. And, you know, whether the, the field's ice and that means it's hard one or the other. So I trained my keepers for it today. 100%. Cool. Yeah. That, that right there just shows honestly, us how important, you know, and again, I don't want to toot the horn of the goalkeeper coach again, but how important it is to have a goalkeeper coach that's thinking, thinking of the big picture uh, because if there's somebody, if there's not somebody there, and I know there are some college programs, Dan, in, in the United States who don't have a goalkeeper coach, or if they do have a goalkeeper coach, it's a young goalkeeper coach who may have just finished, yeah. you know, j- just finished playing college even. And, and they may, maybe they don't, maybe they haven't thought about these types of things. And that's why it's so important to have a, a, a veteran presence that's thinking about, okay, this is, these are the things that are not necessarily focused on the game in regards to technical tactical, but more thinking about like the L the, the elements, like what are the, what's the situation going to be there in regards to the fans, you know uh, the pressure of, we need to make a, we need to make the playoffs and we need to get this match game and stuff like that. And that's, I think where the goalkeeper coach really comes into play, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, altitude lighting, there's so many different elements that are going to impact uh, the goalkeeper, the wind, which is our biggest en- enemy. I, I said all, that today. You know? I go, the worst thing to play and I hate wind. Forget yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's something we can't control and uh, we got to deal with it. We got to practice in, in those kinds of conditions. That's why I go to nice fields. I go to terrible fields. Yeah, I, go right? to fields. I go to all kinds of conditions because I want my keeper to be able to, uh, to adapt, uh, you know, in, in those conditions. I would say Do we have time though, and I'm sure Dan will agree with this. When you, something comes up like that, use it. Like if you yeah. come out, if you're out here in beautiful sunny California, if you come out one day and the Santa Ana's are kicking ass, you know, like, and the wind is going, use it. Say, what can I do today? Because this might come up one day and I don't get this all the time. I don't get these winds. I don't get this rain. I don't I don't get this. So how am I going to right now take this session and, and throw something out there that if I walk into a game and winds are whipping, we've done this. You know, we've worked on your positioning. We've worked that you should maybe, you know, hold your line a little longer to judge it and stuff because, you know, you don't, it, those are conditions. You don't always get conditions. And especially where we live right now, you never get them. How about when a keeper comes for a cross and it gets lost in the sun? Yeah. What happens? How do you, you can't call time out. You got to play, you know, <laughs> if your judge, if your judgment's correct and your assessment correct and how they struck the ball with foot, they struck with it, the elevation of the ball. If your initial read is correct, you stay with your decision because the ball will find you. I have now, one of my keepers and I, I don't try to not to do this. I have one of my keepers that was like, I'm going to, we're, we're taking this side. And it never likes to be in the sun. I'm like, get your ass on the other side. I'm like, get in the other goal now and deal with the sun. Deal with it. And I always stick her because because in her mind, she's like, I want to be. No, go. Go and deal with it. Go. And and my head coach knows that. And I'll look at her I'm like, go, other side, go. 
that, that, that sounds like me, by the way. But Omar, I want I want to I want to ask you because I, I think that that's one of the things now. You know, as obviously you started out, you know, coaching um, at the youth level, and you know, spent, then spent spent a little bit of time in college, and then really got into in depth into coaching at the college level. You know, one of the things I think that you first started recognizing when you got to the collegiate level is how important those little details were, the specificity to putting your sessions together, and really having that really the communication with the head coach on why this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing that. Cause if, again, if the goalkeeper, if the, if the head coach sees you over there and you're doing all this stuff and they're just like, what, what is it? It's like, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? And you don't have an answer on why you're doing it. Then there's going to be a problem. Yeah. Luckily I had a coach who always asked the why. And if I didn't have a why, I mean, he would, it would make you feel really, really bad about yourself. So you're like, <laughs> next time I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in a, I'm not going to put myself in a situation. And sometimes you need that. You need to, you know, develop better habits. And I think like we talked about early, putting your ego aside and putting sessions together that not just are going to make me feel good that I had a great session, but that, you know, I we think we've all had those moments where the, you know, in a game, it's a long throw in and you and the goalkeeper have worked on long throw-ins all week and exactly how you worked on it. The goalkeeper makes a save or makes a punch in the last minute of the game. And then all of a sudden, and they're pointing at you. I've had my, my goalkeeper Alex would like point at me and like we're kind of like mm-hmm. we worked on that. We worked on that. And for me, like that ego thing, putting it aside to actually what matters and what they're going to see is so much more important. And I think that's the evolution and experience that I've had over the last few years is just have a why. And then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, you know that you were intentionally and deliberately putting sessions together that they were going to see through the scouting report. And I think that, you know, what Dan said earlier, uh, he learned the business of winning. And I think the business of winning games as a goalkeeper coach is you get the scouting report. How best to your ability can you make this the scouting report or the, this full, the full week of training throughout the week? And then from there, you put it in your goalkeeper's hands and you pray to God that the person you selected will, you know, apply that to their best ability. Yeah. Attention to detail, my friends, right? Attention to detail. Yeah. I, I know we're, we're probably getting close or running out of time here, but there's another observation I really want to quickly throw out there that has frustrated me. And how many clubs, at least in Connecticut, I'm not sure in your areas, that don't have a full-time goalkeeper director. And it's so short-sighted because we all realize the importance of the goalkeeper to the success of the team, yet clubs and academies are unwilling to invest and pay goalkeeper coaches respectfully what they should get. Or what they want. And this happened to me or what they want is like, okay, you're director of goalkeeping, but we need you to run a team or two teams or three. Exactly. And I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to run three teams and coach all your goalkeepers and try to get, to whatever games I can get to, to see what the goalkeepers are doing on the weekend. It's not going to happen. And so then all of a sudden, and I think part of that issue is now all of a sudden you're not paying what the salary, which could be honest, of the goalkeeper coach who's handling every team and every goalkeeper um, because they're not the head coach of a team. And I think that, I think that's an issue as well. You know, We've all had that piercing look where, the head coach is on the bench and the goalkeeper makes a mistake during the game. And they look at you, right. With that piercing look and they raise their hands. Like what the hell just what happened? Are they doing? Oh, I'm sorry. I got them. I got to spend 30 minutes that with them this week once. <laughs> hey guys, Michael, do I have time for a quick story that's related to what we're talking about? Absolutely, Dan. We'll make we'll make okay. we'll make time for a story for you, and then and then we'll wrap it up because I know I know Suskia and and Omar have have some things that they, they got to get to as well too. So, yeah, I'm going to uh, be running to it. I'm getting dressed for a session as we speak. It's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm not on camera right now. But um, 
this was in 2014 with Iran. Uh, we played Argentina for in the World Cup. So obviously, you know, I had to prepare, as I mentioned earlier, about preparing for the rhythm and the timing of the opponents and the style of play. And, you know, you, you cannot prepare without considering Messi, you know, who's a left-footed player. I brought in our best left-footed player so that our goalkeeper can have a, a, a look at that, which is a different look than a right-footed player. Um, I had, and we were in, in, uh, in training camp in Brazil, and they happen to have a jugs machine there. Now, I, as I said earlier, I can't strike a ball like Messi. So my goalkeeper's weakest side, Omar and Sasha, was uh, to, his, uh, to his right, okay? Messi's best shooting ball is to the goalkeeper's right upper hand corner with a bend. So I, I, you know, I get this machine, I set it up, man. I mean, it's hitting perfect balls like Messi. I mean, unbelievable. The first time I put it out there, my goalkeeper doesn't even react, doesn't even move because it's his weakest side. You know, after a week, he's making a reaction. You know, after a few days, he's getting a hand to the ball. After another few days, now and then he catches it. So all that preparation. So now we play, uh, we play Argentina. We're on the verge of one of the biggest upsets in the World Cup history. 93rd minute, we lose possession at midfield. Messi gets the ball, sizes it up like, you know, he's, he's golfing and hits it with his left foot. It goes into the right-hand corner and beats my keeper. So no matter how well you prepare sometimes, some people at that level just have that magic. And you can't yeah. duplicate it. I'll tell you, you know? we, we got a player named Sunshine, and I've never seen a pure striker of the ball, no matter what. Every time she gets the right connection on the ball, you just go, goal. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how <laughs> is. It doesn't matter how much I've prepared the goalkeepers. I'll just stand there and be like, goal. <laughs> Not, I'm sorry. Machine. Give me every tool. She's just so good. <laughs> so guys, really, yeah. really, the, the moral of the story is, is that, is that, is, is that, no matter how much you prepare, no matter how much you prepare, you're gonna there's going to get up out of the back of the net. Goals will. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I want, I want all the young goalkeeper coaches out there to know, to tell all the, the, the young head coaches out there to know goals are going to happen and there's nothing we can do about there's nothing we can do about the best it. goalkeepers in the world give up the goals that's one thing i always tell train my goalkeepers i mean you guys are talking about the high level this and that i'm working with 10 year olds up to you know collegiate keepers now and i'm enjoying every minute a minute because it's pure i'm making a difference it's part of their mm -hmm. development phase and i'm just excited i'm passionate about what i do and it's great and I tell all of them, no matter how good you may be or become, you will always concede a goal. It's how you process that. It's how you cope with it that's going to decide. There's only one secret that I know about this business, and that is how do you deal with failure, the gift of failure? And because goalkeeper, and that's why you look at goalkeepers after their career, how many do we know that are extremely successful in other arenas? It's amazing because yeah. the position, the, the characteristic of the position demand so much of ourselves in terms of leadership, communication, you know, bouncing back, all that sort of stuff that prepares us for life. Yeah. Well, well, speak, speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, I, th I think we have to start wrapping up right here, Dan, uh, before, before we go, if anybody there wants to more know, 
what, yeah, know more about what you, you guys do over at SGA, uh, want, want to check out your, maybe your sessions locally or the camps and everything like that, where's the best place for them to reach out? Stargoalkeeper.com is, uh, is my website. And I have things on Instagram and, and Facebook. I'm not the most socially savage. So just Google Dan Gaspar and it'll take you to different different things, I guess. <laughs> Dan, really quick, and everybody out there, Dan and I, I, I trained with Dan when I was younger and everything. And uh, my dogs agree. Obviously, um, uh, it'd be great to see your face, Dan, but it's been absolutely amazing just talking to you um, and, and being like-minded still. I love it. <laughs> you know, I have so much respect for you. You know, you're one of the strongest, most powerful athletes that I've worked with. And that's what I remember about you, you know, uh, your presence, your intimidation factor. Um, you were a great athlete, man. Thanks. Thanks. Well, well, uh, well thanks. <laughs> and guys, if you want to know more about uh, more about Saskia Weber's illustrious career, uh, you can reach out to her directly on social media at Saskia underscore Weber. Uh, if you want to see Omar hitting balls just like Ronaldo or Messi, you can go at ProGK Academy <laughs> underscore. <laughs> guys, contact at inside the 18 media.com. Oh, there's the face right there. Hey, Dan. <laughs> Good to see you. I can't believe it. I just turned it on. I can't believe it. Yeah, great to see you, too. Oh my gosh! And now and now, and now it's working. Uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to do this another time when we get the the technology okay. uh, figured out. Dan, uh, contact at inside the eighteen mediacom Guest suggestion, topic suggestion at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social media platforms. That's all the time on Inside the Eighteen, and we are out later, Bye, guys. guys.